everybody. Welcome back to Behind the Net Podcast. But And in the words of Taylor Swift, I don't know about you, but this podcast is feeling 22. <laughs> nice, nice. I've been planning that you, one for a little bit. <laughs> you've been planning that since episode one. Uh, <laughs> I can either confirm or deny that. <laughs> um, but yeah, as always, um, here it's me, Matthew, alongside uh, Michael. me with Michael. And uh, yeah, I mean, we've had a pretty eventful week for sports this week but i mean first before that like what's been up it's week like i've lost i've lost count of what week this is of quarantine but you know yeah. we're at it yeah i've lost count of weeks like you said i've lost count of days even sometimes just even feel like a day of the week anymore yeah uh, i can't even tell what day it is <laughs> that is true the good thing is though there's a lot to do inside the house uh every day i've been uh on the treadmill trying to build up cardio which i think would be really helpful for uh once I leave the house and have to run around everywhere. Nice, and nice. Uh, you, you, you've probably seen this, but I, I started playing Banjo-Kazooie last night. Really fun game, actually. I didn't even... Well, I mean, I knew it was a fun game, but this is the furthest I've gone along in it. Man, have you ever beaten it? I have not. But I'm more, I'm actually about halfway done now. Half Funny thing, because night. after last week when we uh, talked with the bar, dar, with the bar, bar down guys, um, I actually started playing um, Banjo again. Well, first I'm I'm chipping away at Super Mario 64 again, which is again one of my favorites. But I played a little banjo, and man, it's just such a fun game. It it really is. I and it's like Super Mario 64, but like it's it's I I like the characters in it a lot more, and I like the humor in it. It's so humorous. I just think that the uh, sound effects that the characters make is is probably the most <laughs> of the game's unique charms. Like of course, and just like just the personalities that they give each other like i love super mario 64 but let's be real like there's not really a lot of characters in it except for mario with the personality there's not even a personality with mario he doesn't even talk really um there's no like depth there at all right which is cool because it it was like the first uh 3d game and like nintendo was really trying something out there um but yeah i really liked how banjo kazooie really took that and then added like its own charm to it with the with the help of personality and everything yeah, exactly. And they perfected that uh, collect-a-thon uh, genre because it's not only just Banjo-Kazooie that's amazing on the N64, there's Donkey Kong 64, another great game in its own right, the sequel to Banjo-Kazooie, and uh, Conker's Bad Conker's Fur Day. Conker's Bad Fur Day, don't forget about that one. That's yeah. a, that's probably one of my favorite ones just because that one is hilarious. Do you have that? Do you have it? I do. It's actually oh, funny. Man. Years ago, there's a Walmart near my old house, and for whatever reason... They had the box copies of Conker's Bad Fur No Day. way. How long ago was this? Uh, this was definitely over 10 years ago. Okay, and- I was going to be like, if this is a, like somewhat recently. But man, because I mean, I'm a video game collector myself. Um, and like, I know like a lot about what goes into collecting and things like that. And Conker's Bad Fur Day, for one, is one of the more rare games to get on N64. And the fact that you found a box. So you're telling me that you have a boxed. I had it brand new, like fresh out of the box, just like you would have gotten it back in the day. So for me, it was like a chance to remember, like actually opening an N64 game. And Man. I was like, this is the other, uh, the best. That's and it's crazy. fresh. Like, it's, it's so, it's so much fun. Do you still have that box? Yes. Uh, it's, it's not in the best condition because I, I was a younger, I was a young kid. So I didn't realize the value of collecting boxes, but yes, I still have it. Don't worry. I mean, you still, uh, as long as you still have it, like you, you're, miles ahead of most like even video game collectors like i still don't have a copy of conquer's uh bad fur day but 
honestly i'm just i'm just double checking because i haven't checked the price in a couple of years but i know it runs up like just the cartridge for that game could run up to like around 100 bucks yeah i got pretty lucky because at this walmart they were selling it for 80 bucks like fresh like a brand new game which is i've never seen anything like it at the time and i can imagine that i got really lucky by getting that game there because i'm just looking at ebay right now and uh, the prices are ridiculous Mm-hmm. Conquers Conquers the one game. It was it was it was basically released near the end of the N64's life cycle. So games that are um, released near the end of a life cycle is usually tends to be more rare because they don't make as many or people are hopping onto the next console. Um, mm-hmm. So it all goes into that. Yeah, and I think there's also a remake that they made for the Xbox that uh, refined some of it, and that was more readily available than this one and. There's also a rare collection on the Xbox, I believe, that has a updated remaster of it. So there's so much more ways to play this game today than, than just getting the N64 cartridge. But if you find one in the wild and you get a really good deal for it, you should definitely pick it up. Of course, I've still never gotten a good deal on it. And who knows? I'm, I'm hoping I it. do. I'm hoping I do. I need to, I need to complete my N64 collection eventually, Absolutely. of course. Yeah, and then the game for me that I really need to get is uh, the original Mario Party. Oh, you don't have that. I don't. Yeah, that one's good. That one's good. I have uh, oh, yeah, I the first three. Uh, those are on N64. It started to fall off after. I used to love those ones on N64. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the Mario Party franchise kind of fell off after, which is kind of sad. Oh, of course. How would you rank the first eight games from uh, worst to best? Just just one second. I'm just looking on eBay, and I just saw one mint condition boxed copy of uh, Conker's Bad Fur Day going for... I, I just want you to take a guess. Is this for real? Okay. I don't know if I saw this, so I'm going to guess 400 bucks. This is boxed. This is boxed, cased up. Uh, the, 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 the plastic wrap is on and everything. It's oh, going I'm for really 4500 holy oh my i wonder if it'll actually sell but let me see it says one sold wait there's more than one so one sold for let me see i'm just looking at the ebay history um i believe 1200 euros right here hi madon (laughs) (laughs) in july 2018 well, that's probably why, because like those are so expensive. Like it's it's pretty much one's entire savings. Yeah, I mean, like I said, like just having the, just having the cartridge is like a hundred bucks, and then have the having the box is another thing, and then you're having it sealed, brand new, right? So, yeah, I mean, I get it, but geez, I wonder, I wonder if that person went to the same Walmart that I was at. <laughs> well, it says it's from France, so I'm. I'm it's it's showing me the the converted price, so it's going for like, um, two thousand two hundred euros or something about that, and it's showing for me for four thousand five hundred eighty one dollars Canadian. <laughs> That's well, insane. I'm I'm just gonna politely decline that offer. <laughs> Man. <laughs> um, but okay. back to your question, um, I can't rank the eight Mario parties because I I haven't played all of them, like especially after Mario Party 3 when it went on to, you know, the GameCube and then the Wii. I, I didn't play any of the Wii ones either. Um 
but I can tell you my favorite one is the third one. Excellent choice. That is my favorite one in the series as well. For sure. Which one was your favorite minigame? Um, well, it's definitely not the beat goes on, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, man. Shout out if, if you know how, how, how much that game sucks. To the listeners, of course. Of course, of <laughs> course. Um, um, I don't know. There's so many really good ones. Just it's besides that one I just mentioned. Like a lot of them are like solid games, and I always enjoy playing them. Hmm. I remember the the uh, ice rink uh, mini game was fun. Yeah, that's a fun yeah, one. That one was a fun one. But, I will uh, say this. I need to play it again. Uh, I, I'm like, it's a blur for me right now, but I want to play it again. I have to ask you, do you have Waluigi's Island unlocked? I don't know. It's such an old copy. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> oh played in God. so long. It's like a it's a party game. I just pulled it out when my friends are there. Well, I'll tell you what. If you do find out that you have it, you have to play it because it is the best stage I've ever played. All right, will do. For those of you guys that probably don't know it, there's an island on the top left corner where all the like all the spots, save for one, change. So one term, it could be blue spots. The next, it could be chance time, which would make for some crazy shenanigans. <laughs> I got, I, I'm honestly, I'm thinking of playing that tonight. Maybe. Pull yeah, man, go for it. All. Yeah. What about you? What are you playing on your Switch? I feel like we play, we talk so much about video games, but this is my last video game question. What are you playing on Switch right now? Um, It's mostly Smash Ultimate, to be honest. Nice. But I still have I to do want to get. That. Yes, of course. Of yeah. course. But... I really want to get the the Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Oh, get that! One Such I... a good game. Oh, of course. I imagine was... we should we should host like a uh, Twitter Mario Kart tournament or something, Ooh. like a Leafs Twitter, Raptors Twitter, Mario Kart tournament or something. That sounds like a good idea. Let us fun. know if you think that's a good idea. That would be fun, or, or one of the other games, either Smash or, or Mario. I feel like Mario Kart is the most accessible for most people who have a Switch. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah. also Ultimate is a really fun game, and there's like a lot of shenanigans that could be had there as oh, well. Oh, for sure. Um, what about, have you jumped onto Animal Crossing yet? I'm like waiting. For I have not. Know. I haven't that, gotten it yet. Is that your type of game or no? Um, well, I will say this: it sounds, it looks interesting, but it's just I spent so much money on uh, old school games lately. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just probably gonna dial back on it for a little bit. Of course, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, enough about video games. Maybe we should talk talk some sports now. Well, I mean, if we're talking video games, uh, there's cheating in video games, but there's also cheating in sports. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is. I mean, <laughs> you always find like the perfect transition, the what perfect joke to transition. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, before well, we go on to that, I did want to quickly, since we're talking about video games... You know, uh, they're having a, the NHL is having a, uh, like, I'm sure you saw that the NBA is having a 2K tournament between players. Um, yeah, yeah. The NHL is also having uh, a tournament for NHL 20 with their, um, with their uh, players. Huh. And I'm sure, here we go. So, I mean, for the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, I think every team has, no, not every team, 15 teams have a representative in in the uh in the in the tournament and yep. uh a couple teams have like two people playing but uh the Toronto Maple Leafs have Zach Hyman and I honestly Ooh. think because I mean we've seen him play NHL 20 he streams 
along along with uh, Mitch Marner. Um, yeah, I honestly think he might have a chance to win it all. I I I think out of all the least players, he's probably the one player I'd be the most confident in going to a video game because I mean Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews do play a lot of video games and they they have some skills, but Zach Hyman has his own video game channel and outlet, so I think it makes the most sense that he's the one representing yeah. the Leafs. Oh yeah, I mean they both stream him and uh, Mitch Marner, so I feel like it would have been one of those uh two but i think zach hyman he seems skilled very good oh of course yeah i hope he uh does well yeah and i hope, hope for it's a sure really fun time and it runs for four weeks so at least we'll have something to kind of watch there oh of course yeah i think well since it's now the playoffs well it would have been the playoffs uh i think there has there's a void that's being left and uh, i think it's perfect uh opportunity for for teams to fill that void with uh, video games yeah for sure. So <laughs> I just wanted to mention that, but back into uh back into your cheating ways. <laughs> um yeah, so I mean we all know the whole Astros cheating scandal and how it um how the the Boston Red Sox had a had a hand at cheating as well. Mm-hmm. Um so we actually got the penalties uh that the Red Sox will face for their uh for their hand at cheating and let me just i just want to know your thoughts on it quickly i'll just uh read them for you so Go the red it. Sox will have to for, forfeit um their 2020 second round pick their replay op- operator jt watkins will be banned through the 2020 playoffs and from doing the same job in 2021 and alex cora will be banned through the 20 2020 playoffs but only for his conduct with the astros so those are all the penalties that they'll have to face. That's it? That's it. <laughs> well, that's my reaction to that. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I will say this. if uh, I think the Astros definitely got up with the more severe punishment between the two teams. Uh, it's But here's the thing, though. There's a lot more proof that the Astros potentially cheated beyond 2017 and potentially into 2019. Whereas with the Red Sox, we know that they potentially cheated, but we have no idea how long it persisted, if it lasted in 2019, mm. which is what I think is skewing into their decision to not give them like nothing more than what can be a lot could be considered a slap on the wrist. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Alex Cora is going to find a way to come back. If he's all they're going to do is just like punish him, like, with the additional punishment he got from the from the Astros investigation, there's a meme I saw yesterday from a Twitter account called Foolish Baseball, which runs an awesome YouTube channel. For those of you guys who haven't heard, please go check it out. I will have to look it up again, but essentially, mm-hmm. it's that meme of Mo and Barney from The Simpsons, where they'll be just like throws Alex Cora out the the restaurant, and Alex Cora finds his way back in. Oh, <laughs> I know that meme. Oh, that's funny. I yeah. mean, yeah, like, it doesn't even seem like that harsh of a penalty. Like, like, I mean, I thought this penalty should be something to obviously um, make other teams not want to think about cheating as well, right? I mean, you would mm-hmm. assume that it would. But when you think about it and you see that all they had to give up was a second-round pick, um, not even a first-round pick, but a second-round pick, um, their replay operator, like, 
I'm sure nobody really cares about their replay oper- operator. They could probably get someone else to do that or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, him him being banned, I don't think that really has anything to do with the team, or I don't think they could care less. And then um, Alex Cora is probably the biggest, I guess, loss that they'd suffer. But when you're a team, and I'm not again like a team should never cheat, but if a team was wanted to think about cheating, and they they see this and they think this is all that they have to lose if they cheat and they win a championship out of cheating. They don't, they didn't even have to get their title stripped or anything. Right. So if a team wanted to cheat and win a title that way, um, does, does the benefit of winning a championship not outweigh what you lose here? Exactly. And here's my thing too. The, the Boston Red Sox, you have to keep in mind. They're one of the most financially stable teams in pro sports. I'm looking at it here. In 2019, they're the 12th richest league sports team in the entire world. And let me, let me just double check this. They are the third most financially stable sports team in a baseball team there is. Man. So when you're giving this them that light of a punishment, they can easily recover from it like, oh, yeah. like the snap of a finger. Like they could trade easily for a second round pick if they really want to. They could easily find another quality replay manager and they can easily find a quality manager to replace Alex Cora. So mm-hmm. in my view, this is, this is for them a slap on the wrist or maybe just, maybe not a slap on the wrist, but probably just a light pinch because for, for someone that financially stable, a team that financially stable, like they can easily recover from it. Mm-hmm. And who knows if they might want to do it again. Like you said. Yeah. I mean, I've just simply put though, those are my thoughts. Like, it's not something that'll de- de- defer like another team from wanting to cheat, right? Um, exactly. And I don't know, like you wanna you wanna completely eliminate the idea of cheating from people's minds, and this just doesn't strike me that in that way, you know. I I totally agree with you, man. And I would love to see more inve- thorough investigations done by uh, other outlets if it's possible. Mm-hmm. Just to see if this cheating did continue, because mm-hmm. if it does come out that maybe the Red Sox continue to cheat, or more teams are found to have been uh, involved in some sort of skiing chain scandal, then it's becoming becomes more painfully obvious that the MLB has a serious problem on its hands, mm-hmm. and they're not taking enough initiative to really crack it down. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, but, but I mean, th- th- those are my thoughts. Do you have any other thoughts? I mean, what other teams could you think might want to cheat? Like, and I'm talking playoff teams. I don't know who would, but I don't see why. I mean, why do people cheat in the first place, right? Like, we don't know because they want to win it, right? And that could possibly be everyone. So you can't, I, I, I I can't name anyone because you don't know who might want to cheat, right? But if a team wants to cheat, I mean, yeah, like these these penalties aren't that, you know, scary. Yeah. And if there's one team that I think of off the top of my head that I'm not saying they, they did or that they will, but a team that might think of cheating if they actually are that desperate to win would be the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. Because they're a team that we've known for a long time, have been a playoff contender for a number of years. They made it to two straight World Series. They possibly could have made it to a third straight uh, this past year, if not for the Nationals. Mm-hmm. Like, they're a team that's uh, probably getting desperate to Clint uh, and a drought that's lasted for over 25 years. And they have a, pit- a pitcher 
that's probably one of the best to ever play and could end his career without a, a ring on his finger. So for sure, I'm not saying that they're going to, I'm not saying that they, they will do it. And I'm not suggesting that they actually did, but for sure. No, I, I agree with you there. Um, but I want to keep things going because we do have a lot, a lot of things to talk about this week. And, uh, I don't want us running short on time. No, but, of course, uh, of course. Next, we have. Uh, I mean, tonight. If you if you don't know, we're recording this on Thursday um, afternoon, and uh, tonight is the NFL draft. And I know you're. Yeah, I mean, you're much more uh, bigger on NFL than I am. But I mean, I I don't think any. I think every sports fan is gonna tune in tonight. One because we don't have a lot of um, sports content, anyways, at this time. But also, mm-hmm. this is a very significant and very hyped up uh, NFL draft even if you're a casual fan or if you're a serious fan. Um, so I want to ask you just what, what, what do you think uh, you're looking forward to tonight? Well, I think the one thing that a lot of people are excited about is there's an actual sporting event that people <laughs> will recognize. Yeah. It's the first one that uh, people will uh, gravitate towards since the last NBA uh, NHL games have been played. We you have to, you have to keep in mind. It's been over a month since that's happened. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of people will be like, "Hey, this is this is something new, different." Even if it might be boring in the sense that this is going to take a really long time with a lot of picks they have to go through, but I don't think there'll be any reason to be too bored because the uh, NFL for at least the first for at least the first round of the NFL draft this year, there's a lot of really exciting uh, talent that's uh, that's available up the top. Oh yeah, and I mean, it, I think it's it's headed by arguably the player with the best college season ever um joe burrow and i think the hype surrounding him is drawing so many people just to watch and also i think people just want like you said i mean um what, what's fascinating for me is we, we get to see how an online draft is being conducted by a professional league obviously we saw it work well with the WNBA last week um but uh we're gonna probably see how the nhl and the nba wants to um follow suit and, and conduct their drafts online of, of course in this pandemic by uh, following the NFL and what the NFL does tonight. So I think it's interesting to see that in that aspect too. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that's another thing too. Like we could potentially be seeing the future of drafts going mm-hmm. forward because I'm not saying that this is going to be a year to year thing, but there's a p- potential that down the line that, uh, like these sports leagues realize they don't need to have the drafts held at these facilities, like at sporting arenas or venues that they can just do them remotely. It saves them money and they can continue to run the tradition. So I think this is a huge, uh, like a lot of sports leagues, like you said, are going to be keeping an eye on this and myself included. I'm very curious to see how this thing is uh, conducted and how these uh, broadcast channels are, will conduct interviews or maybe keep a tab on the players that are, watching very closely and i know that uh, probably the first overall pick is the one that uh, a lot of people probably see coming unless something crazy happens i but... mean it would be crazy if you know it's not who we expect right oh of course now well, maybe more a trade. Oh, even a trade that would be even more crazy for sure yeah um because but miami really said really has their sights set on the first overall pick oh Sorry. yeah oh yeah um but uh before we move on to our next topic i, I just want to ask you um, I mean, don't ask me because I'm not in, as far into the uh, draft prospects. Um, but I know uh, 
I want I want to ask you who would be your top three and then give me a little reasoning behind it just just super quickly. Okay. Well, I'll have to say Joe Burrow has to go first. Of like course. it makes the makes the most sense. And for the Cincinnati Bengals, they need a quarterback really badly, especially after the year they had last year. So I think to start a start a new and have a fresh face to uh, start a, a rebuild would be perfect for them. So I think he makes the most sense. Um, Chase Young is another really good one. That's probably going to go in the top three. I probably could make him go number two to Washington. Uh, yeah, Washington mm-hmm. uh, needs a needs another fresh face, and they just got uh, Merritt Riviera, so they uh, he could, that would be a great uh, place for him to develop. Because, I mean, as an offensive weapon, that'd be really good for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that's a defensive end. My bad. So, I think that'd be good for them because I think he's. Uh, I, I think it should be good for Washington, and uh, Derek Brown, is another player that uh, would be a really good fit. I can't remember who's going number three. I mean, don't ask me, but uh, <laughs> I know, uh, I believe it's Detroit with the third pick. Right. Yeah. Well, they're going to eventually have above 500 record consistently. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Shout out to uh, NFC uh, North fans. <laughs> of course. Um, but the next the next thing I want to talk about on the podcast is uh, something actually really exciting. Um, the NWHL announced that Toronto is getting an expansion team. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? And for those of you who might not know, the NWHL is the National Women's Hockey League. So what are your thoughts on that? Because I don't know about you, but I'm super excited. I think this is great for women's hockey. And, um, of course, we saw the um, the CWHL fold last uh, season, and that was uh, pretty unfortunate. But it's nice to see that they're bringing um, women's hockey back into Canada and into the city. I will say this. It was kind of expected after the CWHL folded that a team, a Toronto-based team in the in the NWHL, seemed like a po- inevitability. It was only a matter of when that was going to happen. And I, I would say this as someone who, like, like as soon as the CWHL folded, I kind of felt that this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. But now that it's actually happened, it seems exciting because there's women's ho- professional women's hockey is back in Toronto. It's a it's going to be the biggest market in this league. And there's an opportunity to do much better in terms of preparing for this team, because I'm not sure if you knew this, but the Toronto Furies, the old Toronto team based mm-hmm. team played at the, what's now known as the Ford performance center. And which is it's the, near where I live. It's the Maple Leafs uh, practice facility, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And I mean, I've been there. It's a nice facility. I, I still call it the MasterCard. The MasterCard Center. <laughs> no, of course. Just like some people call Scotiabank uh, ACC. Of course. Um, I will. I think that there's way better that this this new team can do in terms of its arena location. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two off the top of my head would be the Scotiabank Pond and the Madame Athletic Center. And wouldn't that be something? The Madame Athletic Center would be good because, um, I I I I mean we both went to Ryerson. Um, so we know uh, that that arena pretty well, but there's a ton oh, of, of facilities there to be used, um, and they're very welcoming into um, teams right now. Actually, I know uh, they actually um, negotiate with an esports team, Toronto Ultra, to uh, use the Madame Athletic Center as their home arena. 
So uh, the Madame Athletic Center, obviously with the history being Maple Leaf Gardens, would be a, a great place for um, a new hockey team in Toronto. Absolutely, and that's what that's what that's my immediate thoughts are like on this new team. It's exciting. Pro hockey's back. Problems hockey's back in the city, and they have a chance to do right by putting the team in a better spot for the fans. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I pre- appreciate the efforts of trying to make the Scotia uh, like Mastercard Center or the Ford Performance Center be as viable for a pro team as they possibly can be, but it's just not a great it's not a great location for yeah. the fans. I so, mean, Mammy Athletic Center, heart of downtown Toronto. Um, it has viewing areas. The, 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 the arena is set up, you know, to hold a, you know, a spectator game of hockey. Um, and definitely it just, the facilities there are perfect for, um, the future team to be able to take part in. And I think it'd be really cool just for nostalgic purposes, like you're kind of implying for mm-hmm. having professional hockey being, uh, taking place at the Maple Leaf Garden. Mm-hmm, that's, for sure. uh, that's a cool prospect as well. For sure. Um, I do want to ask you, uh, they haven't picked out a team name yet. Do you have anything in mind that you would love to see? Um, well, I think for women's hockey fans, if the name becomes available, I think the Toronto Furies would be a good name to go back to. But I think that name might not be available. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. Because Maybe the Toronto Huskies? Ooh, I mean... We have to see if that's trademarked by the Raptors still, though. Um, yeah, Ever yeah. since they started wearing those re- retro Toronto Huskies jerseys. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I would love, like, a, a new, another new name, a new franchise name to take uh, form in the city. I mean, they're actually asking for name suggestions right now on their website. So, I mean, if you have a good idea, maybe pitch it. But... <laughs> I don't know. I saw someone say the Toronto Titans, and I thought that would be a nice name. It just has a cool ring to it. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah. And uh, like, how many people like will recognize? Uh, like, I think Huskies uh, for a Toronto sports team makes a lot of sense to me, mm-hmm. and it, it just it just rolls out the tongue super well. Yeah. If it's available and uh, they can avoid copyright uh, problems, I think that'd be a great name. Mm-hmm. For sure. But I mean, all in all, I think it's a great move, and. Uh, I really, I really hope to see uh, women's hockey grow um, again in Canada more and more. Absolutely, and I and I have a lot of friends that are really passionate about uh, women's hockey. So for them, or just women's sports in general, so for them, this is a huge victory, and I'm happy for them because I I think women's sports deserves a spot just as much as uh, male professional sports. So this is huge on every. This is great on everyone's part. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Um. I believe, I don't know, what do you want to talk about next? Because I believe we do have an interview coming up that we were able to do. Well, I want to ask you, just before we get to that interview, about the Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. So this past week, there's been uh, Sportsnet uh, re-airings of uh, old Jays games with mm-hmm. uh, like the bat flip as the, one of the, the signature highlights. On YouTube, the MLB's uh, YouTube page was re-airing Game 6 in the 93 World Series. And there was a video on uh, SB Nation's channel about the beef between uh, Jose Bautista and Ruf Nenodor. I saw that. I'm sure you know I saw that well. fully. Oh, yeah. I, I watched that video. Great video, by Great the video. Way. Yeah. Um, so, so with all this talk surrounding the Blue Jays, I just want to ask you, what are you most looking forward to about this uh, this upcoming season if it were to uh, go forward? 
I'm I'm viewing this. I mean, I was viewing this season a lot like how I viewed the Raptors season this season, as more like a you know a kind of um, developmental year. Um, obviously, the Raptors aren't just developing, but it's kind of that wild card season. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, early in a rebuild, I, I I see that the same with the Jays. I mean, last season was you know the season where we saw you know Vladdy and Bo come up and 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 you know actually be like you know their first season and actually come into the league and kind of develop from there and this season was supposed to be you know their next step right um mm-hmm. i didn't i'm I, and when i mean like wild card like no expectations like i would love for them to improve off of last season but i'm not looking forward to you know playoffs or anything right mm-hmm. um but i mean just just the fact that it's a wild card season made it exciting because as we know with the raptors being a wild card season i think most fans are enjoying this season a lot more than they enjoyed even last season because um they're just you're just watching them to enjoy what they're doing no expectations Mm -hmm. and that's just how i was going to view this season i i definitely agree with you on that man um this blue jays team is very young there's a lot of exciting uh potential with it we now get a full season out of uh vladi uh Bo and uh Vigio, mm-hmm. which for Jays fans about this time a year ago would have killed for something like that because around this time just before uh Bo Bichette like uh, Vladdy called up the, the Jays team that they had was uh really there's nothing really exciting about it and I I worked at the Jays uh store during that time and apart from opening day it was eerily quiet were you at the yeah, one at Rogers Center? You were you were at the one at Rogers Center, right? Yeah, yeah. I was at the opening oh, day man, game at Rogers awesome. Center. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was cool, like getting to experience an opening day game, even though I was an employee at the at the arena. Which yeah, it, no. I thought it was a really cool experience. Oh yeah, for sure. But I can uh, tell you, as a uh, as we saw from the 2015 and 2016 playoff run, and uh, how this, the fans' uh, excitement changed once Bobashek got called up. Like, people are really excited about the prospects of this team. And I think a lot of people recognize that uh, this team has potential to do a lot of uh, special things if it all works out. So I think this this year, if it does happen, will showcase, like, potentials of what they can do. But I think it'd be too early to counter our chickens before they hatch because this year I don't see a playoff run happening. But I think we're closer to it than ever. 100%. That's what I mean. This season is just going to be its going to be interesting to watch. You know what? Why don't we get a second opinion about the Blue Jays? Awesome. I mean, we actually uh, we got to talk to Ian Hunter, um, also known as uh, the Blue Jay Hunter. He's an awesome, awesome guy. And we got to talk about a whole bunch of uh, Jays stuff. Um, obviously, we talked about the bat flip and the 92-93 Jays. But uh, how about we just go straight into that interview now? I like that idea. All right. We'll be right back. Today we are joined by a special guest. He's a lead baseball writer at Daily Hive Toronto and a contributor for the Jays Nation. You may know him better for his site on the Jays called Blue Jays Hunter. Please welcome to the show, Ian Hunter. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, Ian. So we just got to start off the bat by asking you how you, how's your day been? 
Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. I think like most people are, everyone's just kind of confused at what day of the week it is. Um, and it's also, you know, sports, I think in general, really there's a huge void without it. I mean, I think over the past maybe like 20 years, I mean, at any given point, you know, sometimes there was a, there's been baseball strikes, NHL lockouts, but at least there were other sports to kind of fill that void. But Right now, there's nothing. So, you know, it's it's tough because there's not really you have to be very creative um, and find kind of like niche topics to write about. Um, me personally, the only baseball I'm really getting these days is just watching the Blue Jays replays on Sportsnet and playing uh, MLB the show on PlayStation. So it's a it's a really weird I mean, it's the cliche term, but it's unprecedented, right? It's we've never been through anything like this before. And it's it's odd. Um, but I mean, it seems like there is some light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, Korean baseball league is getting underway in May. And I, I mean, I, there's the potential for baseball games this year. I, I don't know if any fans will be in the stands, but yeah, it does. It does seem like there, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Of course. And, uh, I mean, it's interesting that you, uh, noted about how, um, you playing like MLB the show and things like that. Cause, uh, my next question is obviously going to be, uh, how, like what's keeping you busy during quarantine. And I know video games is a popular thing for all of us, but, uh, what other things are you, I guess, doing during quarantine? Um, well, I mean, for the most part during the day, I'm, it's just like trying to, uh, balance, you know, like a, a day job and also wrangle the kids at home as well, which is a, a job in itself some days. And, uh, Usually, yeah, at nighttime, it's basically, you know, like everybody, you're kind of trying to find the next uh, next thing to watch on Netflix or, you know, a show to binge or or like a game to play. Like for me, for example, I just finished Spider-Man on, on PlayStation oh, 4. I know that game's game. a few years nice, old, yeah. but um, I've got uh, I haven't played Red Dead Redemption 2 yet. I've had I have the disc. I haven't yet popped it in. But yeah, that's that. And, you know, going on YouTube and basically just watching old uh, baseball highlight clips, like trying to find old, interesting games, like, you know, games that I knew I was at, um, going back and rewatching those, um, stuff like that. That's, that's basically how I've been trying to carve out my free time as of late. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. It's funny you mentioned the, the old baseball highlights because on MLB, they've been doing a lot of uh, old games re-aired on their YouTube channel, which I think thing because getting to watch the old games from the 90s in uh, high definition it's like man i wish it's like i'm really there you know <laughs> i was interesting i don't know if you caught the the blue jays replay of game five of the alds on friday but um when they had that watch party with um dale scott who was the home plate umpire for that game and then even jose bautista showed up uh for a few innings to kind of give his insight i think you know playing games just for the sake of replaying it i mean i understand it but i think people are always really interested in kind of seeing the hearing the behind the scenes and you know talking to players coaches um umpires refs whoever you know people that were there that can kind of provide some insight i think that's that's really what makes it interesting so i thought that game on friday was really just it was cool to kind of get to know jose bautista's frame of mind during that game because i mean that was just it was insane. Absolutely agree with that. And everything that uh, about that game that always sticks out in your mind is the bat flip. And people have been arguing from when that moment happened to even to this day of, of his significance in Canadian sports. So I think we need to get this this one out of the way. 
is it an iconic Canadian moment? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. I, I, I know for sure. Uh, it's one, it's a, one of the top Blue Jays moments in history. It's one of the top Toronto 100%. sports moments in history. Um, Canadian. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I mean, it's, Cause I mean, I'm, I'm turning 37 this year. So, I mean, my frame of reference isn't exactly huge, but like you could almost put it on par with like Sidney Crosby's goal, golden goal to me in recent memory. Um, it's, it was one of those, where were you moments? Like you ask anybody, uh, who's watched baseball within the last five years and they could tell you exactly where they were, who they were with, what they were doing, how they freaked out after. Um, that was, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, this, this Jays fan generation, there's a lot of people who were not born when Joe Carter hit that walk-off Homer in 93. Oh yeah. I mean, us included, we're included, uh, (laughs) both of us. So, I mean, I mean, seeing it secondhand is one thing, but experience it is another. So the bat flip, that was this generation's Joe Carter home run. Um, so I, yeah, I, I would put it up there. I probably would put it up there on like the Mount Rushmore of, of, uh, of Canadian sports moments, just because it was so iconic. I mean, it's everybody, everybody knows about it. There's not nobody who you could talk to who, who didn't see that. Mm-hmm. And I've got to ask you, top five, oh. oh, sorry, Matthew. No, go I was going to, I was going to ask, uh, I have to ask you, where were you during the, uh, bat flip? Uh, funny enough, I actually had tickets to the game. Oh, nice. Um, I was one of these crazy people who, when Jay's playoff tickets went on sale, I basically bought up as many as I possibly could because I don't know. I just, it was one of those weird things where it was like, I, I don't know when I'm ever going to see the Jays in the playoffs again. So I just bought every ticket oh, I could, yeah. I could buy like to every game. Um, so game five, I couldn't go to, I sold it to somebody else. I know. Um, I was at home and just, yeah, freaking out. I remember the funny thing was the Edwin and Carnassian's game tying home run. When he hit that, I flipped out. I started screaming. I think my son was one year old at the time. And I scared, I, I really, I frightened him. Like he was, <laughs> he wasn't sure what was going on. He had never seen his father act that way. So when Bautista hit the home run, I purposely was not as loud, but I was still running around the house like a madman. So yeah, I was, I was at home and it was, the funny thing was I, I told my wife or my wife tells me, she always tells me this, that if I was at that game, if I, if I actually took those tickets and I went to that game, you know, Jose Bautista probably doesn't hit that home run. So I think, I don't know. It, it was, it's one of these weird sports moments where you're superstitious and you wonder, well, if I was there, would that have happened? But I, I was glad that I was at home because it, that sounded like a very uh, crazy atmosphere for sure. How would you rank it uh, in terms of like the last, if we were doing a top five list of recent Canadian iconic moments, where would you put Bautista's bat flip on that list? That's going to oh, be a tough question. In, in recent memory, um, I mean, I'd have to have a full, uh, kind of like a full scale. I can't really, I couldn't give you uh, like a top 10 off the top of my head, but yeah, it would be, to me, among all sports, it would probably rank number two or three for me, I would say. It would just, it had that much of an impact. Um and I mean, just to go like it, it hasn't even been five years and people we were all still talking about it this past week, like it had just happened. So I think that ju- that kind of reinforces the notion just how impactful that home run was. And I mean, it wasn't 
it wasn't a, a World Series winning home run. It wasn't, I, ultimately, it was a series clincher, but just the, the lead up to that moment, I mean, it was tw- a 22-year playoff drought. In the seventh inning, it looked like the Jays were going to lose on this weird technicality. Mm-hmm. It just, mm-hmm. it, it looked like it was going to be, you know, Toronto sports all over again. And I, I think the, the there was also like an 11-year Toronto sports playoff series drought. So a Toronto Toronto pro sports teams had not won a playoff series in 11 years up until that point. So just everything leading up to it was, it was like a, it was like a Hollywood movie, right? Like everything played out as it, and the Blue Jays were the good guys in the end. So everything worked out. 100%. I know the city of Toronto was just um, thirsting for obviously some success from a team at that point. And that inning, the seventh inning was so intense and it was so long. So, um, I think everyone was obviously on their toes and it couldn't have ended a better way. I mean, you could, I, uh, people all, always reference the seventh inning, but there were eight other innings in that game and of there were still a t- tons of crazy things that happened like outside of that seventh inning alone. I mean, most people, like you talk to some people and they say that's the craziest inning. Actually, I would probably even say that's the craziest one single inning of baseball I'd ever seen. Um, you go from the Blue Jays potentially losing on Russell Merton throwing a ball off of somebody's bat to the Blue Jays taking storming back and taking a three-run lead in that game. It was, uh, it was nothing short of insanity. So I'm I'm still waiting for the for it to get like its own ESPN 30 for 30 treatment, like 10 or 15 years down the road, or like a you know, like a, a three or four part Netflix series on that game alone. I would, I would love to watch that. And I think there's enough storylines in there that they could probably extract that if they wanted to. For sure. I totally agree with that. And with all, all the hype around the last dance that just came out uh, this past weekend, I th- I think a series just maybe not even on that, that game, but like the series as a whole and just like the, the lead up to it. I think everyone would die for a series, like a documentary on the 2015 Blue Jays. Yeah, and, and that kind of spilled over into 2016 as well when um, Jose Bautista and Rinden Ordur had that had that fight on the field and the uh, the 2016 uh, playoff series as well between the Jays and the Rangers. You could probably, I would say, you could probably milk that you know Blue Jays Rangers rivalry for at least you know three or four episodes of something for sure. Of course, uh, you, we were talking about the Bautista bat flip. And of course, Joe Carter's home runs. I would say that those are probably the two best moments for a Blue Jays fan in her lifetime. But what about you? Besides those two moments, because those are obviously great moments. What's your favorite Blue Jays moment when covering the team? Um, I would say pure if from recent memory, purely from like a fan standpoint, and the fact that I was there was um Encarnacion's uh walk-off homer in the wild card game. Oh yeah. Uh I was at that game. I was in the 500 level. I think I was like the third row from the very back of the building. So we were high up. Um, the roof was open for that game, uh, which was very uncharacteristic. I don't think the Jays would have an, uh, an open roof playoff game ever. So the fact that you've got 45,000 people in an open dome um, and then the game went to extra innings, everyone was on pins and needles and and in, in, the, in an instant, Edwin hit that home run and it was gone and the place just erupted. Like I hugged everyone around me. I, I like, I think I, I must've lost my voice that, that night because the next day I could not talk at all. Um, it, it was just crazy. So 
in recent memory, I would say that one and, and the bat flip for sure. Um, you know, the Donaldson dash in, in game three of the 2016 ALCS to, to send the Blue Jays, or sorry, in the ALDS to send them to the ALCS for the second straight uh, year. That was another memory, playoff memory at least, that stands out in my mind. Like those are, those are probably the big three that, that most people would reference. And then, um, and sorry, and Marco Estrada's uh, game five performance in the 2015 ALCS. I was there for that one too. Um, it, that was just, I've never, I think Marco Estrada was, he was lights out for the, for the Jays in the playoffs in 15 and 16. So that, that, that game sent the series back to, to Kansas city. Ultimately the Jays lost in game six, but the game five of the 2015 ALCS, that's probably the loudest I've ever heard that. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we're talking about iconic moments, obviously in Blue Jays history. And, um, uh, in addition to airing with Sportsnet airing the, uh, of, of course the Baffle game in the, the 2015 playoffs, uh, they also aired the 92 and 93 playoff runs. Um, we both read your article about comparing the two, the 92 and 93 teams. Um, and we, we know you came to the conclusion that the 92 team is better. Um, but we want to know which do you think is more iconic? Um, I would say that was really um, a tough, that was a tough article because I, I tried to weigh both teams because obviously both were incredible teams. They both won the World Series. It's almost like trying to pick your favorite child, right? Like both. Oh, yeah. Um, the the 90 i think most people identify with the 93 team just because they were uh a juggernaut offensively like people reference whamco i mean that was a white alomar uh molitor allerud cart or I, I i missed that up but then um the fact that you know you added ricky henderson at the trade deadline and and tony fernandez and they were just they were unstoppable offensively I said in that article, the only real weak spot for that team was the starting rotation. Um, But the fact that, you know, the offense basically carried that team all the way through the regular season and through the postseason as well. Um, I would say the 93 team, most people, it stands out. But 92, I mean, they they had a pretty solid uh, starting rotation. Uh, Bullpen was great. They paid, technically, they played better defensively. The 92 team did, and the 93 team had a lot more speed when they added Henderson, you know, that stolen base threat all of a sudden uh, came about. But yeah, I honestly, it was, it was really a coin flip for me, but I had to ultimately go with the, with the 92 team. I thought they were more of a well-rounded ball club. I think as we saw with the 2015 Blue Jays, I mean, they were an offensive juggernaut as well, but their weakness ultimately came down to starting pitching, right? So mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, similarities, I think, there between the 93 team and the and the 2015 team. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, like I said, uh, 1992, I would probably, if I had to pick one, I would narrowly give my vote to 92 just because the starting pitching was, you know, slightly better. I, told, I tend to agree with that too. I agree and as well. I think like, yeah, obviously the 92 team was statistically a much better team, not just with record, but just overall team. But people, I think some people will, will tend to give 93 the edge just because of the fact that it ended with the iconic moment. And they're like, the only real iconic moment I can really think of with 92 in terms of World Series is that play in game three that was nearly a triple play. And obviously there's other ones in the 92 playoffs, uh, Olimar's home run. 
if we're taking away Joe Carter's home run in game six in 93, does that make the comparison easier to make a conclusion that one team's better? Because I think that that might be for me what's clouding my judgment. Yeah. And I mean, it was close, right? Like ultimately the Blue Jays were, that was very close to going to a seven game world series in 1993. And then who knows what would have happened? I think um, Pat Hankin was going to be the game seven starter. And I mean, he was a young, a young starter at that point. Um, I would have given the ball to him in a, in a deciding game in the world series for sure. If I was Cito Gaston. So yeah, it's, that's tough. I mean, yeah, it's, it's like the lore um, uh, of Joe Carter's home run tends to kind of overshadow the 92 team a little bit. Um, I mean, not to harp on Joe Carter, but like if you go back and look like at his numbers, like, I mean, ultimately he, he did what he was supposed to do. He, he cleared 30 homers and a hundred RBIs most seasons, but defensively wasn't a great, uh, wasn't a great right fielder. If you just look at his fan graphs page, I mean, his war totals aren't exactly, they don't leap off the page. Um, so, but I mean that, that home run solidified his uh, status as a legend in, uh, in Toronto sports. But yeah, if you take away that home run, I mean, and it's a hypothetical, uh, as well. I don't know. I think, it, I think it's a little more even, but yeah, in the 93 season, even though it's only one, one extra year, it's that tends to stick in a lot of people's memories just because it was so iconic. It's a walk off. It's at home. And as Joe Carter, the guy, the, the same person who ended the world series two years in a row, ironically enough. That's mm-hmm. true. And also because of the fact that after that, the Jays didn't make the playoffs for quite a long time. So I guess that also plays a factor as well. Yeah, for sure. Like a, a 22. I remember at one point, uh, I just kept thinking like, are the Blue Jays going to make the playoffs in my <laughs> ever again in my lifetime? Like I, I seriously considered whether that was going to happen because it just felt like forever. Um, I think the Seattle Mariners now have the longest playoff drought in baseball yet. I don't know how long it is. I feel like it's 14, 15 years, but 22 years. I mean, man, that feels like a lifetime, especially when you've got uh, juggernauts like the Yankees and the Red Sox making the playoffs every year. So that just kind of, I think that elevated Carter's status a little bit. Um, But yeah, he's, I, he's still, he's still up there again. I would still, I would, I would, the other thing about the 92 team, if we can kind of go back to them is the bench basically, almost single single-handedly won the world uh, world series game in game two between uh, Derek Bell and Ed Sprague. I mean, Ed Sprague came off the bench, probably hit one of the most clutch home runs in blue Jays history as a pinch hitter um, off Jeff Reardon, who's one of the best closers in baseball at the time. And people often forget that. I mean, it's a, it's a bench player in the, in the world series. You're not expecting anything. Like if you get on base, that's gravy. But the fact he hit a go ahead home run, um, in in the late innings to push the Blue Jays ahead, that was a, a monumental moment in, in Blue Jays history. But people often forget that because uh, because Joe Carter hit a walk off in '93. Absolutely. And I just quickly checked the stats. Uh, 18 seasons right now, the, the Almerians have last made the playoffs, and of course that was 2001. It feels like a lifetime ago. I mean, it I, does. If you're if you're a Jays fan, though, you can sympathize. You know exactly you know exactly what those Mariner fans are going through right now. Of course, Absolutely. I mean the Jays had such a long drought. Um, but I, I I did want to know kind of about your uh, own baseball journey as well. Um, mainly, how did the Blue Jay Hunter come to be, and uh, I guess how did you kind of 
take your love for baseball into that avenue? Um, yeah, it's funny, like kind of going back to Joe Carter, I was unfortunately one of the many kids who, uh, when the baseball, like baseball was my favorite sport as a kid, but when the strike came along in 94, that basically killed my love for baseball for a really long time. Um, I kind of pivoted over to football. I was, I watched the NFL for a while. I was a, a 49ers fan for, for a little while. Um, and eventually I actually came back to baseball kind of like almost near the tail end of the, of the Roy holiday era, right about in, uh, I think it was 2005 when I was in college and, uh, I started a new job that year as well. So I was living on my own. Didn't really, I had tons of free time. So I basically kind of decided like, Hey, I'm going to get back into watching the Jays again. And it helped that Roy holiday was there. Um, they fielded a, a sort of competitive team. They had AJ Burnett and they went and sp- spent all that money. They got BJ Ryan traded for Troy gloss, um, Lyle Overbay. you know, they had the makings of a team of a, uh, a mid eighties win team, but they just, they couldn't overcome the Yankees and the Red Sox. So, uh, I, I started basically watching them night after night. And, um, my, one of the, there wasn't back then, you know, Twitter, did not exist. Facebook wasn't around. So if you were a Jays fan, um, where did you go? Where was your outlet? Um, for me, it was, there was a blog called uh, drunk Jays fans. Uh, that was, that was our outlet. It was, it was just a blog where, um, Andrew Stoughton and Dustin parks, they put their thoughts of after the Jays game every day. And it was very unfiltered and it was a, an outlet for people because there wasn't anything else. So, that's kind of where I drew my inspiration. I was like, Hey, I, maybe I should do something like this as well. So, um, as I said, I had, you know, a lot of free time. So I just started writing base. I tried to write like every day and just put an article up there in retrospect, I go back and I read some of that stuff and I was like, Oh my God, this is awful. Like, it's just, it's, it's so, <laughs> <The regret. laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. It's so unpolished. But, but you had, you had to do those kind of articles to obviously to build up to where you are now. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it's like reps. It's like reps of in course. the batting cage, right? It's, yeah. um, it's getting practice. That's how I kind of discovered what, what I was good at, what I wasn't good at. Um, so yeah, and I kept I kept doing that uh, more and more. Um, so as the Blue Jays became successful in 2015 and 2016, I kind of used that to kind of pivot, and I started doing some freelance stuff for a few uh, a few sites. And um, yeah, it's grown from there. Like I right now, I'm writing for uh, Daily Hive Toronto and Blue Jays Nation. Uh, I have done some stuff in the past for Sporting News and Toronto Life. So. Uh, it's just been really cool. You know, the fact that I just kind of started this as a hobby, like it was just fun, you know, something to do it, basically an outlet. That's all it was. And the fact that people are asking me to write articles on the blue Jays for them is just, it still blows my mind. Like it's, you know, something that was a hobby of mine. It's, you know, somewhat I'm trying to turn it into a profession, which is, you know, really cool. So, uh, it's been a, a long time. I've been doing it since about 20 or sorry, 2007. So, 13 years now did you um, did you ever envision it like kind of getting this big obviously that was 
I mean, so long ago, when you think about how blogging has kind of changed, obviously, with the age of social media and things like that. But in 2007, obviously, it, it probably was a fairly new concept. Did you have any idea about how this could kind of blow up into something that you can actually do um, as a profession? Uh, oh, no, there's no way. I was, again, it was when I, if somebody like emailed me and said, hey, I read this article of yours, I was like, somebody read this like you know you just you you kind of put something out there and you're not really sure if somebody's going to read it or not and the fact that i saw that people were on the site they were commenting um and when i was putting stuff out on twitter you know you would get responses and stuff it was just it was crazy like i, I never could have envisioned it turning into this um it's just so cool that they're that through technology you have this platform where you can kind of put something out there and you can respond to people in real time. And, you know, you can put your opinion out there. People can disagree or, or agree. Uh, but the fact that you're all just kind of talking about the Blue Jays is really cool. And I think back then that was the other thing too, is there wasn't, uh, aside from like message boards, there wasn't really any outlets for Jays fans to kind of vent online or anything. I mean, most people now, you know, they go on Twitter or they respond to the official Jays account with their frustrations on the team. <laughs> um, but back then that, that didn't exist. So yeah. you either had to go on, you know, like a blog spot and find a, a Jays blog somewhere, or you had to find a, a message board deep, deep on the internet. And now it's evolved into this real time thing where people are basically, you know, you get jobs from, from what you put out on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, or YouTube. So it's, that's awesome. It's really cool. I'm just glad the fact that the community has grown because it used to be very, very small and now it's large. So I say the more, the merrier, the more people writing, the more people commenting, it, it just makes it, it makes it awesome uh, to interact with people. hundred percent. It's, it's just crazy to see how, I guess, social media has changed and kind of evolved from that to being such a big, uh, big part of, sports nowadays and I, I i'm not i won't be oblivious to the fact that there is you know there's a dark side to the internet as well of course of, of course you know twitter eggs and people who uh will just no matter what it's it, they'll get on you I, I found that a lot in the the 2018 season i found that after the fact with um kind of with everything that went down with uh, josh donaldson and roberto osuna that was just to me, that were, there was a lot of a lot, ton of negativity surrounding the Blue Jays that year, and also there's this, there was that, there was this. Well, there still is this angst for like Ross Atkins and, and Mark Shapiro, and people just you know can't seem to get over the fact that they're the president and GM of this team, and Alex Anthopoulos and Paul Beeson aren't anymore. So that was, um, I would say, the positive still outweigh the negatives, though. It's not, it's not all sunshine and roses, but it's, I would say, overall, it's pretty good. I have to just go back to what you were saying earlier about getting back into the. Obviously, Roy Halladay being at the tail end of his time in Toronto was definitely an attractive thing. But was there a particular moment about that team in two thousand five that uh, brought you back in? Um, I would say, probably, I think it was the off season spending spree of all the activity that they did. I think it was in. 2005 leading into 2006 um they signed aj burnett they signed bj ryan they traded for gloss and lyle overbay 
they had Roy Holiday there. Um, I think Alex Rios, Aaron Hill were still there. So these were like young building blocks of their future. And all of a sudden it was, that was, I think that was the first time the Blue Jays really kind of opened their pocketbooks and, and started to swing the money bags around. Because I mean, up until then, the Yankees had always been the big spenders in the American League East. They just bought all the high price free agents, right? They signed Sabathia. They signed, well, eventually they signed Burnett. They signed Mark Teixeira. Um, and they always seemed to win. So the Blue Jays, that was the first time in my memory where the Blue Jays actually spent money and, and seemed like they wanted to contend. So that really kind of piqued my interest. And that's, I think that's why I got back into the Blue Jays. And they, had a decent year. I think they won like 85 or 86 games. Um, they finished out of the playoffs, obviously, but it was miles ahead of what they had been in the past, like two to three years. So all that combined with the fact that they had Roy Halliday pitching every five days. That was, that was kind of what got me back into it. I would say. Oh yeah. That's awesome. And, and let's, let's not kid ourselves. Even though those teams were bad, the Jays always found a way to find some talented players and they always were in the race for one way or another. They'd either be third or fourth in the AL East, which, I mean, on the one hand, it's good that they're competing, but on the other hand, you want to see them make the playoffs at some point during that time, right? Yeah, I would say the one fault of that kind of post-93 era up until 2015 is the, the Jays were never really, they didn't bottom out, like they didn't tank, um, which... The bad part of that is you don't really get any high draft picks. Mm-hmm. They were um, kind of stuck in the middle. That's exactly it. They were always, you know, they hovered around the the high high seventies, low eighties win total. And I mean that if you're a team who's either looking to rebuild or make the playoffs, that's like the worst thing you could possibly do because you'll never be, you'll never finish low enough to get a number one or a top five draft pick. And you're always kind of on the cusp of the playoffs, which is never quite good enough. So that was the one thing with the Jays, which they, and they had some, they, they didn't really draft all that great. Um, like prior to, to 2015, 2016, they had some quite a few first round busts. So that, that was the one thing I kept remembering. I was like, everyone keeps wishing, you know, why don't they just tank and turn into like the nationals or the Astros or, the Rays, like, or the Cubs and, and the Royals, they all seem to bottom out and and come right back. But the Blue Jays never did that. Um, they were always qu- right there in the middle, which was, you know, kind of the fall of the of the JP Ricciardi era. I would say. I could definitely agree with that for sure. Um, we we yeah, go ahead, we do well. I think we want to transition into uh, talking about the current Jays now, and uh, I guess what we could expect from uh, this season. I mean. We're obviously just waiting for the season to uh, start, but uh, realistically, I guess we want to ask you, what can we expect from the Jays uh, should play resume? I mean, it's going to, it's going to be weird. I think for a team like the Jays, especially uh, we'll go with the caveat that they do play games this year. I think that actually might benefit a team like the Blue Jays because um, a short season really makes things even more unpredictable. Um, and there's a chance, especially since they've got basically all their core position players will be there from the start. Um, last year, 
they didn't have Biggio. They didn't have Bichette. They didn't have Guerrero. None of them started on opening day. First off, it was Vladdy. And uh, I think it was like late April. Biggio came up early May. Bichette wasn't there until July. So they've got all these guys ready to go. Um, they spent a ton of money in unpitching this offseason. They got Rio. They got Rourke. Uh, Chase Anderson, Shun Yamaguchi. I would say they're they're set up way better uh, to start the season this year than last year. And we all know the fatal flaw of the team last year was pitching, right? They used 21 starting pitchers. Never done that. They'd never done that in, in franchise history. So they addressed that by basically getting three starters, if not four, um, depending on what they do with uh, Yamaguchi. And it's it will be, I think they're set up you figure if they played a full season this year, they've got to win more than 67 games, right? Like mm-hmm. I would say most people were kind of pegging them around 75. I'd say that's probably accurate. I think if everything breaks, right. If, you know, if Lottie has the season that everyone hoped he did in his first season, in his sophomore season, if Bichette continues tearing the cover off the ball, if Biggio is like a solid option at second base, I think if everything breaks, right maybe they turn it into 80 wins and they're knocking on the door for a, a wild card spot. But I think that's probably unrealistic to expect, especially with a ton of young players. Like they're so young players are so unpredictable. Oh, yeah. um, so like you figure at least two of those guys are like going to come crashing down to earth. I, you just don't know which ones. So, um, but yeah, I would say this year they're set up to do a lot better and you figure, with all that experience that Vladdy had last year, um, he's just, that was like his first taste of adversity at the, basically in pro ball. Like he demolished the minor leagues, didn't really have any difficulty from single A to triple A. And all of a sudden, you know, he's seeing big league caliber pitching and realizing, man, I've got to like, I can't just get by on talent alone. I've got to put in the work too, because everybody's working way harder. So I think he probably realized that. And, you know, these guys are all second, uh, plenty of them are second generation baseball players. So they're already a step ahead of everybody else who's coming up through the minors. So that's, uh, I think that's one advantage the Jays, this young core has, especially with Bichette, Biggio, and Guerrero, and, uh, and Guriel to a degree as well, as they kind of know what to expect. So um, I don't know how many games they're going to play this year, but I think it's going to be a very exciting team to watch for sure. I definitely agree with that. And as someone who was at the Rogers Center a lot last year, the first month of the season was a a train wreck in terms of just enjoyability of watching that team. So just having all three of them uh, from the get-go is going to be very interesting. And I think the one question that everybody has when it comes to this team's future is just how close they are to competing for a playoff spot. Never mind the AL East crown, because the Yankees probably have that locked up for the foreseeable future. But if not this year, when can we expect this team to be challenging for a wild card spot? Um, I think this year would be very, maybe be a bit presumptuous, a little too early to expect them to make that leap simply because, you know, last year was 67 wins and you figure uh, to be on the door knocking for a wild card spot, you've got to be somewhere in the 85 to 90 win range so i mean that's a big leap for the blue jays to make in the span of one year but you figure next year they'll have nate pearson uh in the starting rotation 
and uh, second year of, of Ryu, you figure they're probably going to go into either free agency and trade or get an, and get another starting pitcher. And that probably sets them up to be, I would say next year at the earliest is probably the potential for them to, to be contenders. The problem is with this team is there's just so, so many variables we don't, we don't know about like young players are so volatile. They could, they could potentially carry this team to a, a 90 win season, but on the same token, they could also be 70 wins. It's just so it's really hard to forecast young players like that. Um, so I think once the Blue Jays front office has a bigger sample size of these guys all together, like this season, for example, I think they can they can kind of reassess and say, okay, we're gonna go sign Trevor Bauer, we're gonna sign James Paxton, we're gonna we're gonna bet the put the house down and, and sign Mookie Bats. Like I don't know if I expect the Blue Jays to do that this this coming off season, but if they show a marked improvement on the field this year, I think that gives the front office a lot of incentive to say, okay, we're taking the next step forward. We're not just, um, we're not just trying to crack 70 or 75 wins. We're going to, we're going to go for it. I tend to agree with that analogy. And a part of me too has to wonder which position players they're going to be focusing on for uh, internal competition. One that always sticks out in my mind is who's going to be the Jays catcher of the future. And there's been a, intense debate going on between Danny Jansen and uh, Reese McGuire over who would be the better player to keep long-term. Yeah, I would, I mean, I would, even though Danny Jansen kind of had a bit, I don't want to say disappointing because that was his first full season in the majors, but just the way that he was, he came in the year prior in August and was, um, you know, hitting home runs and, and extra base hits everywhere. It That basically kind of, put his expectations up pretty high in, in 2020, but keep in mind, I mean, he was the starting catcher for most of the season. He's getting to know 21 starting pitchers. He's getting to know, I, I don't remember the total number. I think it was like over 40 pitchers. The Blue Jays had at any given point last year. So he's got to learn all the repertoires. He's got to figure out what to call. That's a ton of information to take in. Plus he's got to go up and hit the ball. Like, <laughs> It's so that's so we often forget how much information and how much of the game the catchers control. And first and foremost, they need to work with the starting pitchers and be good defenders. That's their number one priority. And if you can hit, that's a bonus. So I think from all the defensive numbers as well, we saw last year from Danny Jansen. I mean, he was a gold glove finalist, which was really surprising because coming up through the minors, he was never really revered as, as, as this stellar defensive catcher. If anything, that was Reese McGuire's MO. Um, and then, you know, I think Reese McGuire, he's a suitable backup long-term. He's really great defensively, um, performed well at the plate last year in a small sample size. But uh, if you're asking me, you know, who do you think, do you think Reese McGuire is the, is the answer long-term? I, I don't think so. I still think more than more often than not, maybe he becomes trade bait for the Blue Jays. Maybe he's someone the Blue Jays package together, um, you know, to get a starting pitcher next year. Mm-hmm. I still think Danny Jansen is the guy uh, moving forward. He's definitely he's for me. He would be the Blue Jays starting catcher uh, for the for the foreseeable future. I totally agree with that, and I think people underestimate the value of a defensive catcher because in baseball it's just really hard to find a pitcher that's been able to adapt to so many starting pitchers and relievers. 
So to have a guy like that in your in your lineup and having that ability to have the season he did last year, I think the Jays probably realized that that's a really important player to have in their lineup. Yeah, and I mean, defensively, if you, if you have an all-glove catcher, um, it's not as sexy as having a, a catcher like Russell Martin who can club you 20 home runs, right? But Russell Martin was also great behind the plate. He was a, a great pitch framer. Um so he was a, a really great all around uh, catcher. I think the Blue Jays have that in Danny Jansen. It's just that he, I don't know, maybe he was more focused on learning the the pitching staff last year. And that caused him to suffer a little more at the plate because when he was brought up in late 2018, he was as a backup, not a starter. Russell Martin was still behind the dish. So um, I think his sophomore season, whenever that happens, I think Danny Jansen's probably to me, I think he probably ends up being a top 10 catcher in the American League. Of course. Um, other than, you know, obviously the Vlad and the the, the Bo and those players, other than those uh, Jays, who are some Jays that uh, you would tell people to keep an eye out for this season? Um, I mean, on the major league roster, I think um, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is a really, a really interesting player to keep an eye on just for the fact that you know, in April and May, or sorry, in last April, he looked like a player who is completely lost in the field. I mean, they basically, he they, the one game where he botched that throw to first base, they pulled him off the field and sent him down to the minor leagues the next day. Um, some people wondered whether he would come back to the Blue Jays at all. And then he resurfaces as an outfielder and, and looks like a complete natural out there. So I'm in, because it was a, a shortened season for him. I'm interested to see how he could pull, what he could pull off over the course of a full season. Um, I think there's the potential in his bat to have a 30 home run season, but I'm not, I'm not too sure. I feel like I need to see more uh, to be convinced that he's an everyday outfielder. Um, And then someone like, I mean, he's kind of, (laughs) he's sort of been the punching bag for blue Jays Twitter over the last few years, but Teoscar Hernandez is um, someone the Blue Jays seem to have a, a ton of faith in, and he's probably going to get some uh, a lot of playing time and a lot of rope out there in the outfield this year. Um, posted some really good numbers when after he came back in I, June, I believe, of last year. And uh, I, I still want to see... I, I, I understand what the Blue Jays see in him because he's a big... Uh, sprint speed guy, a really speedy outfielder. He has lots of uh, the metrics like hard hit rates and exit velocity are in Teoscar's favor. I can see why the Blue Jays think he might break out, but I wonder whether he's just not suited. He's not capable enough to play the outfield because we have seen his defensive shortcomings. Um, And then in the prospect side, I think everyone's talking about Nate Pearson, right? Like he, he threw a hundred miles an hour in spring training. Um, he just like blew his fastball by everybody. So I think he's the real deal. And I think it's just a matter of time before the Blue Jays bring him up. Um, he's going to be someone who's going to be appointment viewing. Like he's probably, you know, outside of the Blue Jays haven't had a lot of luck drafting elite starting pitching in their history. You could probably count your on one hand over the last 20 years, guys who've turned out to be studs like, you know, Roy Halliday, Marcus Stroman, and maybe near Nate Pearson. So he's, he is going to be someone who's extremely, when he makes his debut, it'll be, 
there's going to be a ton of eyeballs on him for sure. Oh, yeah. And I think Kay's another one for me as well. He's a player that I'm really excited about too long-term. Yeah, he's interesting. He's kind of like the, uh, he's sort of like the antithesis to uh, to Nate Pearson where, you know, uh, Anthony Kay's a, a lefty, relies a lot on the, uh, on the off-speed stuff. And uh, I think in a small sample size last year, he actually put up some pretty decent numbers and he was, seemed to have some, quite a bit of success in spring training this year. He looked like he may have potentially been competing for a, a fifth starter spot out of the Blue Jays starting rotation. I think uh, he's going to be a, an interesting depth starter for the Blue Jays. You know, you combine him with, we'll see what happens with Ryan Barucki if he, uh, if he can sort out his injury and maybe he's someone who gets called upon this year. But yeah, Anthony Kay is someone who's, who's definitely going to make some starts for the Jays this year, I would say. I agree. I agree as well. Um, We want to round out, I guess, this uh, this Jays talk. Um, But my last question about the Jays is, uh, I mean, there's been talk about um, Bautista and being a pitcher. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, it's very interesting. You know, he's <laughs> working out with uh, Marcus Stroman yeah. down there in Florida, and we saw some limited footage of him throwing off a mound and – I don't know. It's. I think it's interesting that he would. He's trying to come back as a two-way player, um, not just as a, a pitcher. He wants to pitch and hit, uh, which to me is. I don't know. I think he might have a shot at at becoming a pitcher because he did. He really had a strong outfield arm there, and uh, when he was playing right field, he often uh, had really good. Uh, out, outfield assists, I think is his, I think he might be second all time behind uh, Jesse Barfield in Blue Jays franchise hif- history. I'd have to go back and check, but he's got the arm speed for sure. Uh, I think he's 38 years old. So it's just, I think he could probably make it onto a minor league roster, but I really don't see any major league team uh, plucking him up because it's just, it's too much of a risk. Um, you're bringing in someone who's a, a bit older. Um, it's just a, a ton of unknowns there too. So unless he's got this really glowing scouting report, I I don't think it's going to happen. I I think for entertainment wise, I would love to see it. <laughs> I think it would be, I think it would be so cool to see Jose Bautista on the mound, but I just realistically, I, I don't see it happening this year. Imagine Bautista coming back to the Jays as a pitcher. <laughs> or facing off against the Jays. That would, be, Ooh, that would be interesting. That would be a great game to watch. What about sure. him facing off against Odor? Would he throw uh, inside? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I want to, I, I think, I don't think he would. I think, I think uh, Jose Bautista is better than that. I think Odor has shown over the years that he's a petty player and Jose Bautista is, He's always taken the high road on the, those occasions, so I don't think he would. I think lots of people would love to see it, but um, I think Rudin Ordures, um, if you've looked at his stats as of late, I think those are punishment enough. He's not; he's playing below replacement level, so he'll karma. Karma has come back to him, I think. <laughs> that is true. Um, there has been plans for the MLB to resume play in Arizona and Florida, and now recently Texas has been involved as potential for baseball to be played. If Do you see this scenario playing out? And if so, what do you think would be the challenges that could be faced? 
This is all very, it's very interesting. It seems very, I don't know. It's, I think you need a lot of buy-in on the player side. It's still very, we're still in the really early stages. Um, I like we mentioned way back, uh, they are getting baseball underway in Korea and they're playing in Taiwan as well, but there are, there aren't any fans in the stands. And I mean, this is just my guess, but I don't think we're going to see fans in the stands in major league baseball this year. Even if the season does get underway, I just think they're far too many risks and it's just, you know, it's not going to happen. Um, maybe they do go this neutral site route where they basically turn it into like spring training where the, it's the grapefruit league and the, and the cactus league, you've got teams in Arizona and Florida and Texas. And I, you know, maybe that makes sense. Um, the other thing too, is they were saying like players would have to be basically sequestered away from their family. Like they're not going to be able to see them, which I don't imagine lots of major league baseball players would be thrilled about. I think Mike Trout was interviewed about this like a couple of weeks ago and he said he's he's got like a kid on the way and he doesn't like he doesn't want to be sequestered away from the birth of his first child. Like it's not that's not an ideal scenario. So there has to be something where it benefits the players and everybody because I think ultimately we all want to see baseball return, but you don't want to see it them do it haphazardly and put people at risk or, or, or risk the product as well. So I think they've got to come to a, a compromise somehow. I think ultimately probably will be a case where they may be sprinkled around and they're not playing in their, on their home turf. They are, they are playing on neutral sites. And, uh, but yeah, I would say my guess is maybe we get underway in July and it, it's some sort of shortened season. I don't know if that means there's going to be playoffs or not, but it's so it's so strange to forecast because all of this is changing week to week, month or day to day, right? So it's it's really hard to predict, but I think it is encouraging the fact that they're talking about it and they are putting these ideas out there. I think it actually means that there will be baseball played in uh, in 2020 because for a while there, it looked like there might not be baseball at all. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have to really ask, uh, how would, you, okay, so let's assume baseball does come back in July and that would be great. We could have the, just like half the season shortened, there'd be a playoff potentially, and then a, a nice long break for the players. How would you think next season would be affected? Would there be a shortened season just to impact the account for the fact that the players had to spend so much time away and they need to rest or is 2021 business as usual, just like it was in 2019? Oh man, I don't know. It's it's really hard to say. Um, I think if anything, you know, expect next season to kind of look really different as well. I, like I think it's going to be a long time before professional sports gets back to business as usual, where there's you know fifty thousand fans in the stands. Like it's just it's so weird that. Two months ago, this was not something we that had even crossed our minds. I mean, I, I mean, I had Jay's tickets to, to a game uh, in May second, and now it's like, can you even imagine the the thought of sitting in an arena or a stadium with forty thousand people? Like it's so, it's so bizarre. So, yeah, I think it's just it's so. This is such an overarching thing that it affects every aspect of our lives that 
I can't see a way where the 2021 season isn't going to be impacted, whether it's shortened or altered. Maybe there isn't, it's not 102 or 162 game schedule. Maybe they're only playing three or four times a week. Maybe travel is shortened. Maybe they realign things. I don't know. It's going to be, it'll be strange, but I would say if you're expecting things to go back to normal next year, I, I would not expect that. I think it's still going to be very, very different next year, even, even next year. Yeah, for sure. I, I totally agree with that. Uh, before we let you go, Ian, uh, this is a question that I think will be on Jay's fans' minds for a long time. It's not just going to be for this season when that eventually happens or next season or beyond that. It's a question about two players on the Jays roster that are probably going to be there for a long time. Who, between Bichette and Guerrero Jr., who do you think will end up being the more valuable player of the two? And this is just hypotheticals. Yeah, it's, I've thought about this a lot and, you know, it may not be the popular, well, maybe it is the popular answer, but I'd probably put my money on Bo Bichette. And I know it was, a, he had a smaller sample size last year compared to Vladdy and did nothing but tear the cover off the ball when he was called up by the Blue Jays. Chances are he's not going to do that over the course of his entire career. There are going to be dips. Um, he is going to go through rough patches, much like Vladdy did last year. But I just think Bichette is the better all-around player. Like Whether he's playing shortstop or second, um, he's a really solid uh, defensive player. We've seen he can, you know, run like the wind on the base pass with his uh, with his long flaw or his long flow <laughs> dangling in the wind there, <laughs> and um, he's just like again one of these second generation baseball players who has this baseball IQ and he's not phased by the big lights. Like I look to that um, the two home run game where he hit two homers off of Clayton Kershaw in Dodger Stadium and. Normally, a rookie coming in facing one of the best pitchers of our generation would be starstruck, but Bichette wasn't. <laughs> he oh, tattooed yeah. him for two home runs. So I, th- I think ultimately over the long term, if we're looking ahead 10 years from now, um, Bichette probably has the, the better career. I, I just think there's a ton of unknowns with Vladdy. Like last year, ultimately had a disappointing season. I think he probably will bounce back in his sophomore season, but it's a like we're also questioning his defensive ability. Like he really struggled defensively at third base last year. Is he, he's probably better suited to become a first baseman. And if he is a first baseman, that decreases some of his value um, because, you know, uh, power hitting third baseman are far more rare than power hitting first baseman. So if I had to put my money down, I would probably would put it on Bichette simply because he does, He's the much more well-rounded player on the base pass in the field and and at the plate. Um, having said that, though, I think you know Vladdy could have like a bunch of forty homer seasons in him. Yeah, and but the two of them combined, I think, are going to be really really exciting players to watch um, for Jays fans in the near future. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. I agree and as well. Whenever I think of uh, Bo Bichette, I always tend to think of Mookie Betts type of players, where he's 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 not particularly good at one thing, but he's good at just about everything. And I think there's a lot of value in having a player like that. Obviously, in today's baseball, we love to have players like uh, Aaron Judge that hits home run after home run, or Giancarlo Stanton. But I think it's just something good about it—a really good utility player. 
that's just a notch above everybody else that makes him super, super valuable. And that's what I think of when I think of Bobochet. Adds if we circle this back to video games, but I mean, if you took the both of these guys into a, a video game scenario, I think um, Lottie's power numbers would be through the roof, but overall, Bobochet would be like a nice, a well rounded player, like around maybe 70 or 75, where Vladdy's might be in in the low 60s. So that's where I would take Bichette. And yeah, Mookie Betts is a great example because he's not this huge imposing guy. Like he's five foot ten. Doesn't look he doesn't look like he'd be an MVP style player, but when you get him on the field, he's one of the best um defensive right fielders in the game. Nice power bat, can run the bases really well. And I think the same can be said for for Bo Bichette as well. So it's just with Vladdy, you know, you see his stature and you expect him to hit 50 home runs. And if he doesn't, it's kind of viewed as a disappointment. Whereas Bichette is like, who is this guy? He looks like he's, you know, 180 pounds uh, and only five foot nine, but turns out he's actually really, really good all around uh, baseball player. Absolutely agree. hundred percent. Um, That rounds out our questions today. We just want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. Um, it was it was awesome having you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's kind of nice when I do things like these. It makes me feel like, uh, you know, we do have some baseball coming. So it's of course uh, puts it puts a little normalcy back in people's lives. Even if we're not talking about you know actual games that are happening, it makes it seem like uh, you know baseball is on the horizon. It is coming. We don't know when, but um, it it'll be here. I mean, what else do we have to do other than talk about sports right now? In, in the meantime, right? So it's always great to yeah. do that. Yeah, it's a lot of like reflecting. It's as we yeah. said in the conversation, it's like which team was better, 92 or 93? Which where does Bautista's home run rank in the Blue Jays pantheon? It's a lot of like going back and having reflective conversations and it's kind of cool to like go back and and notice things we've never noticed before or just like debate points and it's fun. Eventually we're going to have real live games to talk about again, but in the meantime, it's it's fun to go back and, and reflect on on moments from Jay's history. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, hopefully the next time we have you on the show, we will be talking about the and current games. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, too. All right. So, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, you're very welcome. It was awesome. We'll keep in touch for sure. Of course. Oh yeah, so uh, yeah, just let me know whenever whenever it's going out, and I'll uh, I'll tweet it out as well. Of course. And last thing, do you want to plug your uh, socials? Anything uh, like that, real quick? Sure. I mean, you can uh, find me on Twitter at Blue Jay Hunter. Basically, digging up old archive Blue Jays clips at this point because we don't have uh, current Blue Jays uh, games to talk about. But usually, rambling on there about something from Blue Jays history. So feel free to follow me on Twitter. Of course. Of course. Awesome. So uh, have a great night, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you another time. All right. Thanks very much, guys. It was good to chat with you. Awesome, man. Thank you. Take care. All right. Take, Take care. care. That was awesome. Ian's such a great guy. Great to great to hear. Uh, just just talking about the Blue Jays. He's one of my favorites uh, out there. So if you guys haven't checked out this work, please do. He's a great guy. You know what I just noticed 
It's called the Blue Jay Hunter because his last name is Hunter. Uh. <laughs> Why did I just notice that now? You know what, man? I just noticed that too. That's that's very clever. Yeah, very clever. <laughs> very clever. Um, but there's another. Um, I mean, like while we jump sports here, um, I do want to talk about basketball because there's another thing that happened in the basketball world that's pretty been pretty significant. Um, so I don't know if you've heard, Michael. Um, I mean. Well, who am I kidding? You have heard, but uh, <laughs> the NBA G League has actually introduced a new professional pathway for um, elite draft eligible prospects. So, um, yeah, I mean that that's mainly with uh, next year's top pick, Jalen Green. Um, apparently, he has uh, already committed to this program, and they are forming a new team, I believe, in Southern California, um, a new G League team that's kind of committed to, um, you know. Um, developing these players. So I, w- I want to know what your th- what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I just want to pull up some more details about it, but uh, just give me your quick thoughts on this. Well, from what I've heard so far about all this this program and uh, the benefits it could provide for uh, like young college like college athletes, it sounds to me like the NCAA. But the but the main difference is that these players can get paid. Mm-hmm. and they get to play against men right off the start, or at least that's what I think, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, it's already more attractive for these young players. I mean, so just off the top here, um, they're already promising players $500,000 plus in a one-year kind of developmental contract where they can play and they can also, uh, you know, um, enter the draft. The, the 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 following for the, for the following season and on mm-hmm. top of that they're promising uh you know for because obviously they'll be missing out on the 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 college experience right um the NCAA experience but apparently that um the NBA is willing to pay um pay these players so you know that they can go into college if they want to right so and what, what are I your thoughts that on that well it's like I was saying. It sounds exactly to me like the uh, NCAA, but but with more financial incentive for the players. And I think that that's one of the huge criticisms of the NCAA, their apparent refusal to compensate their players because in their eyes, they're student-athletes. But given the uncertainty with NBA careers and uh, just how hard it is to make it to the league or even get drafted, I feel like for these players, it sets them up for a chance to improve their chances at the the NBA and they get financial uh, security right off the start. And I think that that's what a lot of players want for a lot of young uh, players that start to play basketball. They see the NBA as an opportunity to improve their financial situation. And, and I totally agree with them because the NBA is probably one of the best leagues paid the leagues that pay their players the best out of the four North American leagues. As far as I'm aware, a hundred percent. I completely agree. Um, And I mean, I feel like, it's been kind of leading up to this. Things have been kind of leading up to this. Obviously, we know the big controversy around should play should NCAA players be paid or not because, of course, I mean they're still getting you know a full ride scholarship most of the time, and I mean I guess you can you can justify that that's seen as a payment in a, in a sense. But when you think about how much revenue and things come through these players for the NCAA, um, these players really do just want to be paid or compensated additionally you know and 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 i agree with what they desire um but 
I think it's been leading up to this point because if we even look at this year's NBA draft, um, the the top prospects, you know, um, especially like James Wiseman, who committed to the NCAA, but after uh, you know, kind of a controversy, controversial suspension that he, um, that he kind of had to take, um, he just dropped out of um, uh, out of uh, the season and and decided to, you know, just uh train on his own and then also Lamelo Ball who went to Australia because he wasn't eligible for NCAA and now we saw him play against grown men get paid and he's worked his way into you know a top three pick he could potentially be the number one pick we've also seen it with RJ Hampton in the same program in uh in Australia um I think it's just been leading up to that point of there are other options other than the NCAA now and when you have the biggest I mean, the NBA is what these players want to, you know, achieve or, or join. And when you have the NBA actually step in with a program, like, what more can the NCAA really offer? Well, they have that. Then that means they have to change the NCAA. They have to make, they have to adapt, or else they're going to fall behind very much so. So, and it's a potential that the, this NBA G League becomes the uh, go-to route for uh, young basketball players that want to make it to the NBA. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, there's going to be challenges with that, like injuries are the huge thing for every uh, development league like what if you uh get a major injury on your leg and uh, you're never the same player but here's the thing every league has that risk with the injuries but the thing about the ncaa is as we've been saying and i totally agree with you on this that financial incentive is very important for a lot of these players so i don't see how the ncaa can uh, think to themselves that they can remain the same now that the this new G League uh, incentive is uh, available. Of course. I, I see it affecting the NCAA in a couple ways. I mean, first, obviously, I don't think the NBA is going to just take any or, you know, most of the college basketball players away from the NCAA. I think they're only going to want to pay and only want to, uh, only going to want to, you know, support the very best college players, the ones that can actually keep up with the G League players, right? Because not mm-hmm. all NCAA players may be able to compete with G League players at that stage. So um, I do think the NCAA will still be, you know, will still be there developing players. And I still still think it'll be a huge um, tool for, for the draft. But I just don't think if they, I mean, if they're basically losing their top athletes, they'll just be, you know, a step lower in the way they were seen as uh you know a, a development tool for the draft absolutely and uh i mean we could go on about this debate all day but i think the main thing is is that this is a, a much needed change that had to have been implemented for these young college players and if the ncaa doesn't adapt to this and uh, make the necessary changes that need to be made i can't see a scenario where the ncaa lasts long or at least under its current state i 100 percent agree We'll just have to see. But we actually got to speak to a former Division One basketball player. Um, his name is Jabs Newby, and he's Canadian. We had a great talk with him. So let's get into that interview right now. Yeah. <laughs> Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure to be joined by Jabs Newby. Hailing from Brampton, Ontario, Jabs is a professional basketball player who played college basketball for Eastern Kentucky University and Gannon University. He was the second overall pick in the 2014 NBL Draft, Canada's premier basketball league, and since then he has also played professionally in Spain. 
Hey, Jobs. What's up today? Hey, everything's good, man. How, uh, thanks for having me. No, no worries, man. It's our pleasure. But yeah, how, uh, how have you say. been? I've been good. Um, been home for a little bit over a month now since the since the coronavirus pandemic started. Um, when I got back, I was in my room for two weeks, self quarantine. Um, and ever since I've been out, I've been out here in Fort Erie with my girlfriend and her family. Where Where were you coming back from? I was in Spain, actually. Oh yeah, um, yeah. south of Spain, and we we're getting ready for our our next game and. When the pandemic came out, the outbreak, the the first the first thing they were gonna do is just make us play with no fans, and then once the NBA the NBA announced that they're not having their season, they're having their season uh, suspended indefinitely. Our season was in was suspended too, so we all decided to go back home. Yeah, yeah. I bet, I what did bet. you notice in Spain during that time? Nothing really. Like there was nothing crazy going on, especially where I was. Like I was in the south by the out of water and it was just a warmer climate everything was pretty normal until the outbreak the outbreak started then then a lot of people weren't outside uh certain certain places were closed down that's when things started getting serious you start you start seeing people wearing masks gloves and um even a week before that we had a game in barcelona and we had to fly there so you start seeing things like at the airport and it was just different back then yeah for sure um what about how have you been keeping up in like training during quarantine i I bet it's like i mean it's definitely it's different we everyone's got to adapt to like kind of changing their workout routines and things like that but how have you been keeping up uh during during this time yeah i say this is probably the toughest toughest part being an athlete especially a basketball player you can't you can't be in in inside basketball courts and the only thing you could really do is work on your conditioning and home workouts. That's about it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what what, what kind of workouts are you are you up to these days? Like, uh... so so luckily, I have a lot of resistance bands. So I've just been working on resistance workouts, just working on my lower body, upper body, my core, um, and doing a lot of running. That's about it. How are you working on your shot form? Since I'm not sure. If- if you have a net uh, where you're at right yeah. now, but uh, if you don't, how are you working on that? Yeah, so it's hard to like get some shots up right now. So mm-hmm. I always carry a basketball with me wherever I go. So if I'm in my room, like I'll lay on the floor and just work on form shooting. And that's about it. Like there's, there's not that much you can do, but just working on your form at least gives you a feel like how your how your shot goes like on a normally basis. Of course. Um, what was playing like uh, in the NBL like? I mean, obviously that's kind of Canada's version of the NBA, I guess. But uh, of yeah. course, it's Canada's biggest league. So, what was what yeah. was playing in that like? Uh... Uh, it was pretty cool. Um, I got drafted by St. John, New Brunswick. Yeah. And I'd never been on the east coast of Canada before. Like, <laughs> it's probably a big, most of, most... big change from Toronto, right? Yeah, because <laughs> most <laughs> most of my basketball journey was in America. Yeah. And when I got drafted there and I and I went out to St. John, I didn't, I didn't realize how much they love basketball over there. And my experience playing for that team was great. Um, I had great teammates, a great coach. Um, I had a lot of events on my team, so I learned a lot from them. And the league itself, the, the league is very competitive. A 
a lot of athletes that played all over the world that play at the highest level all over the world and it's a great experience for for Canadians and and imports. Awesome. You want to tell us about your favorite experience during uh, your time in St. John's? Um, I think... Uh, Any cool say, stories out there, yeah. Like on the basketball court or off the court? I mean, what, uh, whatever whatever comes to mind, I guess. I mean, there's there's tons of stories um, there, right? So, so my first year playing, um, I had the opportunity to play with uh, Akil Carr. Akil mm-hmm. Carr is like, he's known for like his his handle ability and his quickness. And he also, he, he was one of those players that skipped college and did the, the, the NBA route. And he was on my team. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was a great experience playing with him. Um, actually, I got the opportunity to play a lot my first year and I wasn't expecting it because there was a lot of vets on the team. And I remember our first, our first game, my first start, and we went against a really good team, Moncton, Moncton Miracles. They're the uh, Moncton Magic now. And I had about 20, 22 points, seven assists, seven rebounds. And for my first year in, in that league, it was pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. And another another great experience, I got traded right before New Year's to Mississauga Power. So that was a really good thing because I actually got to play in front of my family and friends since Mississauga is yeah. like 10, 15 minutes from Brampton. Oh, yeah. And my first game with them, I had my career high in my rookie season. My first game being back home, and that was a great experience. That must have felt amazing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, for sure, with uh, yeah. everyone in the in the audience, too. Um, yeah. What was it like, I guess, afterwards you uh, you started playing in Spain? Um, yeah. what, what What is the difference, like, you know, from Canadian basketball to, you know, um, playing playing basketball in Spain what, what was that transition like yeah so playing basketball in Canada it's more you see a lot of athletes guys that are just just athletic specimen that could jump high run fast they're talented and then when it comes to Spain basketball like it's more of a mental game than a physical game mm-hmm. so if you want to compare like the teams like Spain basketball is kind of like the San Antonio Spurs type of basketball. It's more of a chess game than a checkers game. Mm-hmm. And then Canada is more of a run and gun type of style, yeah, like offensive. A, yeah. Game, yeah. Yeah. Was it an easy transition for you, or was it kind of tough to make that transition? Uh, it was tough because for me, when I when I got to Spain, I got there late into the season, so I had to I had to go from learning a new language playing for a new coach, new teammates, trying to get along with everybody and trying to get playing time. So it was, it was, it was a tough, a tough first year in Spain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But eventually I got used to it. Um, like for me, I'm always in the gym, so it, it just got easier, faster than I thought it would. Oh, for sure. Sure. Yeah. Of course you put in the work, you get the results, right? Yeah, course, exactly. Man. Um, we do want to, I want to ask you about, uh, you know, your, your time at call in college as well. Like, uh, wh- what's yeah. it like just playing in the NCAA? And I know you played for, you played D one with Eastern Kentucky and then you decided to transfer yeah. to Gannon, yeah. right? Um, what yeah. did you feel about that move too? So what was that overall experience like? Oh, it was great. Um, I love, I love my time at Eastern Kentucky. Um, the only reason why I decided to transfer was the, the style of play. I just felt like it didn't suit 
my style, my style of play. I like to run and gun. Um, I like to get the ball and push it. And at the time, Eastern Kentucky was more of a, a half court style of play. And that was the reason why I transferred. But I enjoyed my time at East Kentucky. Mm. And then when I when I played at Gannon, I, w- I was thinking like going from Division One to Division Two was going to be a big drop off. But the school I went to, there was no drop off because we we had Division One talent. We had guys transfer from Division One to to Gannon, so it wasn't really a big drop off. Um, the coach was tough. Our our team was tough. Uh, top 25 in the country for both years. So uh, I had a great experience in college. That's awesome. I mean, yeah. it kind of leads into my next question. I'm, uh, it's, I'm sure you've heard, but um, the NBA G League is like creating a initiative that'll pay, you know, draft eligible prospects money and provide them development instead of going to the NCAA. Um, yeah. Actually, next year's top prospect, Jalen Green, is actually going to be the first one to go through that route. I mean, yeah, with I that, that in the news and everything, I just want to know, like, since you're a former D1 athlete, you've uh, mm-hmm. you've went through the experience of college and you know what college is about. Uh, what yeah. do you think about, the, like, that move by the NBA? Do you think it's a great move or do you think uh, people are, you know, uh, missing out on the college experience or what do you think? See, after thinking about it, I, I think it, it goes 50-50. Um, I don't think it's for everybody. Um but for a player like Jalen Green, I think that's a great opportunity for him to make money, because um, you know he's gonna—he's only gonna be in college for one year. Mm-hmm. So, so for for guys like Jalen Green, I think it's a great opportunity for them to uh, continue to work on their game and make money off of it for a year before they get drafted into the NBA. But for those players that aren't at that level at that at at the moment, college is. It's not. It's not. It's not a drop down from going to college for four years, three years, two years, or maybe a year, because mm-hmm. you 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 learn more about yourself in college. You become a better player in college. You become a better student, a better better person in college. So I don't see it as a bad idea to continue playing in the NCAA for a few years before you decide to go pro. So you sure. think that the NCAA experience is something valuable and can't be replaced anywhere else? Yeah, because um, just going going to school, you just I don't know. Like when you go to school, you 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 meet new people. You um, just become a better overall person. And you can't. I wouldn't say you can't do that in pro, but it's just a different lifestyle when you're in college. Hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. I'm... And and that money. Uh, I was I was watching a video uh, with Jalen Rose on ESPN talking about the the five hundred five hundred thousand dollars it's not really five hundred thousand dollars because you're also going to you got um taxes to pay you got um your agent's fee you got other other things you got to pay off so you're pretty much getting half of that yeah yeah two hundred fifty thousand dollars is a is a lot of money but you can you could never get that college that college uh, lifestyle back if you don't if you don't go of course of course for I, I want to know, do you think for, like, players who are starting out, uh, you know, like, trying to make the decision about going to college or going that route, do you think it impacts them because they have these options available right now, or do you think it doesn't really change much? Um, I don't – I wouldn't say it would change much. I think it would for – the, for the top players in high school, I think it will affect them 
but for the for the normal the normal guys getting the, the division one offers, I don't think it would change too much for them. I think if anything, it would be a high risk if you're not one of the top players. I just I think the NBA should make a rule on who who can who can choose to to take that route. Let's say you were back in 2010 when you were just starting out in college and yeah. you had these two scenarios that are now available for college athletes. Yeah. Which one would you choose? I would choose college. Yeah. If anything, my, my mom would choose college before <laughs> I course. choose it. It's valuable. I mean, NCAA, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like college is always going to be valuable, right? Yeah. Of course, always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um, but yeah. Uh, so what, what, what else have you been up to during quarantine? Uh, to be honest, just like just outside of basketball, you know, like how are you just passing your free time these days? To be honest, like nothing really. Just uh, playing playing video games. Um, I feel like everyone with... everyone we ask just plays video games. <laughs> yeah, like I, it, it's crazy. It's crazy because when I was in my room for two weeks for the self quarantine, doing nothing but push ups, I just I just went on Amazon and I bought an Xbox. Nice. I'm like, yo, I need, I need to stay busy because you could work out for so long, then there's nothing else to do. Oh, for so, sure. So to to be busy, I play cards, uh, play video games. Uh, what, what what do you play on your contact? Game? What video game huh? do you play? Uh, I play 2K. Yep. 2K20. Of course, yeah. Um, I love Grand Theft Auto Five. I. Like I beat I beat it before, but I had to get it back. Yeah, that's a good game. I love playing that game. Um, what else I got? I recently downloaded this game called One Way Out. I, it's still downloading right now, mm-hmm. so it's pretty much about two brothers uh, escaping prison. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a multiplayer game, so you could play with more than you could play with two people in the house. So I'm gonna try that game out. And the other game I have, is it? Um, it's a driving game. I forgot what it's called. I think it's called Forza something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I need I need to check more games out. I think I want to get Madden, Madden next. Yeah, yeah. When uh, this all ends uh, and you're able to go outside again, no problems. What's the first yeah. thing you're gonna do? Go to the gym. <laughs> I have, I had to, I, yeah, I have to. Uh, I actually um, signed a contract to play in the CEBL this summer. Oh, nice, so, nice. So nice. I'm just trying to stay in shape, just waiting for that call to get out there. Are can you talk a little bit about that, or is it kind of low key? Oh right no, now, they, <laughs> no, they they recently announced it a couple oh, okay, weeks okay. ago. Yeah, yeah. So I, I signed with the Fraser Valley Bandits awesome. out in Fraser Valley, BC, mm. in Ab- Abbotsford, BC. Yeah. So yeah, and um, the coach is Kyle Julius. I actually played for him for Mississauga Power. So we we have some some history together. Uh, I trained with him in the summer past summertime after my rookie season. So kind of we kind of have a relationship now after after playing for him. Yeah, are you excited? Have you ever been out west? Never. No, never. But I hear I hear I hear a lot of good things. Yeah, I mean Fraser Valley is just outside of Vancouver, right? Yeah, so that's it's like nice. forty-five minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. That's what I was told. Oh yeah, and it's crazy because being from Canada, like I've never, I never really had to leave Ontario besides the states for high school. I've been to like almost every state in America. 
and then overseas because of basketball. But besides that, I've never left Ontario. For sure. I mean, Canadian basketball is getting bigger. and It's it's yeah. awesome to see, like, the CEBL just starting out. We still got the NBL. Um, there's yeah. a lot of different, I guess, paths for, you know, Canadian athletes to go. Yeah. It's really, it's really great. Like, from, from, from grassroots basketball to pro level, like, basketball is just getting bigger in Canada. For sure. Um, before we let you go, I want to ask uh, one kind of fun question. Um, who would who would you have on your dream three on three team? You and two other people. We talking about anybody? Uh, right? Let's do let's do two scenarios. Let's do one anybody okay. like you know NBA players, NBA legends, whatever, and then the other like your like teammates you played with before. Ooh, okay, that would be fun. Okay, all right. Two guys. Um, whoo, I'll pick Michael Jordan. Of course. And you gotta have the goat in there. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna need a big to protect that paint. So Shaquille O'Neal. Nice, nice, nice. You guys are gonna yeah. put in the work there. And then what about for yeah. uh, what about for you know, like people uh, players you've played with? I bet this is probably harder because I mean, yeah, I play with teammates, right? You play with a lot yeah, of and I play I play with a lot of great players too. Um, I'm gonna go with my boy Dylan Ennis. Nice. That's my guy from day one. And yeah, and I'm gonna pick my my other boy. We just played together in Spain for two years together, and in Mexico. My boy Andrew Kelly. Nice, nice, nice. Those are those are those are those are two killers right there. Nice. Yeah. You guys are going uh, undefeated with that squad. You think? Yeah, those, yeah, yeah. I yeah. got two. I got two dogs with me. Nice, I nice. Got two dogs with me. Of course, man. That's uh, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, we'll we'll probably let you go uh, now. We that was a that was an awesome time, honestly. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming yeah. on. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Appreciate um, it. We'll it's stay in busy. touch, man. It was, hopefully, hopefully it was fun. I mean, I mean, we're just trying to find find things to do during quarantine, right? Yeah, this podcast is fun. It's my first one too. It was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah, uh, no yeah, problem. man. That was fun, but uh, we'll keep in touch, man. Have a great day and stay safe, of course. Take uh, care, y'all man. too. All right, awesome, take care. Man. Take care. See ya. All right. All right. Later. Later, man. about you but that interview with jabs that was that was a fun time that was great um check him out obviously he's a he's a great basketball player i've had the pleasure of meeting him um in the past and uh he's a great guy um loved his insight that he offered um i totally agree mm-hmm. but uh how about now before we close out the uh the episode uh let's get into some uh questions i know we didn't really talk about the leafs that much um but we do have a couple questions about the leafs so uh michael do you have those ready yes i have the uh the page opened up uh we'll get started we've got three questions today uh thank you everybody question uh don't just wait for us to post about uh, asking you for questions uh, you're more than welcome to send them in uh, throughout the week and we'll try our best to get to all of them so thank you uh once again to everyone who responded mm-hmm. first question uh for, goes to uh f- from quinn at Quinn Storm, K-W-N Storm. Uh, recognize him a lot. Uh, seen him on Twitter quite a bit. He's an awesome guy. 
Uh, what trades do you think the Leafs will make in the offseason, whenever that is? And what trades do you want the Leafs to make, and for who? I'll let you go first, because I need to think about this a, a, just a little bit. I, I mean, I do... I'll, I'll tell you this much. I do know I want the Leafs to trade for a defenseman. Yeah, um, I think who, that's the big one. The market's pretty slim, so I'll let you take this one for now, and let me let me think. Yeah, I think the, the one thing the Leafs will want to... Uh, keep in mind this offseason is they want to trade for defensemen like Matthew said I think that is the biggest area of need long term and the other thing is that one Tyson Berry and Cody Cece are likely not coming back there's a potential that yes obviously it'd be nice to get uh, Alcatrangelo signed to a relatively uh, cheap deal but I can't see that happening so the only avenue the Leafs can really explore is trading for a defenseman. And we've talked about this a lot of times about how they could use one of Kerfoot, uh, Janssen, or Kapanen to acquire said defenseman. And there's a lot of defensemen that we can uh, we can go off about. But, uh, I mean, if I'm, if I'm thinking about trades the Leafs would make, I think they should definitely look at teams that have a, def- like a, to- a defenseman that's in their top six that isn't utilized much, but has enough potential that in a given place in a system like Toronto could uh, blossom. Or maybe they have they go after a guy like, let's say, we always talk about Matt Dumba and uh, what's the other guy's name who's on uh, Anaheim? I can't oh, remember him. Uh, Manson? Yeah, Josh Manson. Everyone wants Manson. Every, those are the two <laughs> names that everybody always talks about, and Chris Tanev. But I mean, those would be that'd be that'd be the dream scenario, obviously, mm-hmm. if we they could somehow afford to acquire those guys. But I mean, I think what's probably going to happen is if there is a trade, it's probably for a cheap defenseman, because we have to also remember that uh, Lilligren and Sandin are going to be getting more opportunities next season. I don't know. What do you think? You took most of the words right out of my mouth. I mean, <laughs> the only thing is, I was going to say, I mean, first, I would want to trade, or the, the players I would put on my trade block are Kasperi Kapanen and Andreas Janssen, right? Um, but the thing is, um, I feel like the market's pretty thin for a defenseman right now, and I feel like we're just going to be repeating the same names over and over that we've been repeating the last year or so. Um who who's there that we really can choose from? I mean, Petrangelo. I would love for the Leafs to sign him. I wouldn't say they should make a move for him or anything like that, though. But signing him is the is the option, right? So, um, that's that's a different that's a different question altogether. But in terms of trading, everyone's been wanting the Leafs to try and get Josh Manson, and he would still be at the top of my um of my list. But I agree with you. Um, I think the Leafs will go for a cheap defenseman when you think about they're not really saving that much salary uh, space. You know, uh, Tyson Berry was on a retained contract anyways. And Cody Ceci is the big one that comes off the books. But you just need to fill those two with hopefully another two top four defensemen um, that that comes at a reasonable price, really. Mm-hmm. I think two other things the Leafs need to consider if they're going to make a move said defenseman is one, their uh, the salary cap is probably going to stay at $81.5 million, or at least that's around that number, next season and potentially for a couple more, just given the COVID-19 situation. And also, 
the expansion draft is just around the corner. So they could lose this defenseman that they spend so much assets to get for free, potentially. So I think the best case of case of action would be to get a defenseman um, that's on a has one year left that they can afford to lose if, if in free agency or uh, expansion, but doesn't uh, doesn't cost too much to acquire. I think that's the move that's going to actually happen. Hundred percent. I agree with you there. I agree with you there. I just can't see the Leafs going for. I mean, I just don't see a, a, a defenseman like you know a top two defenseman available on the trade market right now, except unless you dip into free agency there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So go the go the smart, the smart way is go a little cheap and try to get a top four defenseman or a couple. Mm-hmm. The only way we see a big move from the Leafs, I'm just before we move on to the next question. The only way I see the Leafs making a big move is if another roster player gets involved. Mm-hmm. And I think just because of the way the season's played out, I feel like they probably won't be as inclined to do something like that, swing for the fences. So I think it'd just be, would make more sense for, like we were saying this whole time, a, a small move. For sure. So uh, we'll move on to the next question now. So uh, okay. we'll take it away. This is from Juno, at Juno the Leafs, another great account on Twitter. I've uh, definitely seen him a lot. Uh, shout Juno out to Juno. Lot. Yep. Um, his question is, are Jason Spezza and Ilya Mikheyev must-signs for next season? I'll go ahead and answer first, and I think yes. Yes, for sure, and I think Jason Spezza would be a great... I think we talked about this like the last two episodes especially, um, but I do think Jason Spezza would be a great um, one-year signing. Um, if not Jason Spezza, um, I mean, Joe Thornton. I mean, that veteran presence is always welcome, especially if, you know on a, on a cheap one-year contract. Um, must sign, but uh, see, I'm, I'm, I'm reading must sign. Does that mean, you know, if, if, if they ask for too much, then, then no, you know, mm-hmm. if he asks for over a year or if he asks for, you know, something unreasonable, then no, then no. But I, I, I would love for the Leafs to re-sign Jason Spezza to, you know, a one-year contract, um, because mm-hmm. he's been playing great. And then Ilya Mikheyev, definitely. I know the Leafs just signed, uh, Barbanov. Uh, to you know a contract and you know that puts the Leafs in a great position because if Mikheyev decides to walk away then the Leafs have their backup they have his replacement but if they sign Mikheyev who's you know turned heads all season um, then that just bolsters your offense even more and if anything it offers you more uh, firepower to you know or more trade bait to trade with mm-hmm. what are your thoughts? I agree with you 100% there man uh, and that's pretty much exactly what I was going to say. But a few things I will add. I think between the two, the players, I think I'd want to sign uh, Eli Mikheyev a little bit more just because he's younger. For sure. And we realize just how valuable of a player he was to the least forward unit uh, when he was uh, gone from injury. But for Jason Spezza, uh, I'm sure you saw his comments from the other day, but he expressed interest in wanting to stay in Toronto for the long haul and potentially signing for cheap because... He thinks that uh, playing with the Leafs gives him a great shot at uh, winning the Stanley Cup. And that's another thing we have to keep in mind, too. He's a local guy. He loves his team. Uh, he loves the city. I mean, obviously, his start was on the wrong foot because of getting scratched on opening night. We don't have to go over that again. <laughs> but I think it makes a lot of sense for Jason Spesta to stick around. And we saw this year he was really productive, like you were mentioning. Uh, yeah, I think both of them are must-signs. But if I had to pick one or the other, like if you only had one choice... I'd probably lean towards Mikheyev just because he's younger and he's uh, 
got a lot more potential compared to Spezza. I agree with you there. Um, I would if, if it was one or the other, definitely Mikheyev. But I think both of them, I think it is possible to sign both of them. And I think the Leafs should look into uh, signing both of them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Spets is awesome because, you know, it's that veteran presence that's really, it, it really is valuable. And I mean, I loved Patrick Marlowe as well, but I mean, the contract he had was just terrible. So, I mean, you're getting that veteran presence at a much, much cheaper price. Why not, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And just one other thing to mention, the fact that he's expressing interest and wanting to stick around in Toronto is gonna ru- is gonna leave a positive impression on these Leaf players, and we saw the other day too that uh, Zach Hyman says he wants to stick around uh, in Toronto for a long time, which is also he's you can actually consider him a veteran as well because we people forget he's a uh, past twenty five, mm-hmm. he's uh he's closing in on thirty, so for a guy like him to say that that'll also rub off well on uh, the young players. So hundred percent, I think you need players like that to uh, who want to stick around. A hundred percent. So um, I believe those are all the questions that we got this week. Uh, we got one more, but oh, it's, a, it's a short one. Okay, go ahead. Just one more. Uh, it's from uh, Haley McGoldrick uh, at Goldie on Sports. Uh, she's one of my classmates at school. <laughs> Shout out to Haley. Uh, it's a, this is a silly question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. You like jazz? <laughs> oh, man. I know. I love that meme. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the video where from B Barry movie. B. Benson yeah. says it a billion times. <laughs> or something oh, like that, man. I can't remember. That's hilarious. Um, but thank uh, you, Haley, Haley for to that answer question. your question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. To answer your question, Haley, yes, I love jazz. I love jazz too. <laughs> and that's it. That's it for questions. <laughs> okay. That was, <laughs> that was fun. Um, but yeah, we had a honestly a, a pretty packed episode this this week so hopefully next week is just uh just as packed i mean we're slowly getting sports content back and we're slowly getting sports back to um just want to quickly shout out the nhl's potentially coming back in uh, july yeah so there were reports about that i don't want to go into a whole new discussion here but yeah we'll just we'll, have to we'll see save how that, that for next week yeah we'll see how that uh develops but uh of course yeah um as always you can follow me on twitter at matt underscore rodrigo underscore and you can follow me on twitter at the leaves imo um but as always thank you for listening and we'll catch you guys next week see you guys